You're listening to Otaku Spirit Anime Cast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined here with Chris. Yo. And today's episode is our summer 2022 anime season reviews part one of three. Yes, we've decided to do three parts. One reason is because there's quite a few shows that are not ending until like sometime in October. Uh, but the other reason, of obviously, is because mainly because it takes so long to go through all this stuff, and there's so many shows, we don't want to drag out these episodes for until a point that we fall over <laughs> but at the same time because it takes so long we don't want to rush through things just to get the podcast wrapped up and everything so it gives us more time to really sit down and talk about a lot of these shows which there's a lot of really fantastic shows this season so getting to talk about a lot of them for some extended time is going to be a lot of fun so hopefully the three-parter thing works out for people so yeah this episode we have cyberpunk edge runners my isekai life rent a girlfriend season two ruby ice queendom Vermil in Gold, Shadow House Season 2, Jashin Chan Dropkick X, Smile of the Arsenatoria, Isekai Harem or Harem in the Labyrinth of the World, My Stepmom's Daughter is My Ex, and Yakuza's Guide to Babysitting. So, again, a lot of really cool titles in here that we get to talk to, talk about. But, yes, obviously the first one is the most important one. Did Chris get a chance to at least peek into it? No. No? I was pushing heavy, too. Um, I don't know. I don't think he'd like it. <laughs> I don't think he'd like it, but uh, yes, let's start off with the first one, which is Cyberpunk Edge Runners. This one's running on Netflix for 10 episodes. Studio is Trigger. The source is, I know there's a contingency, but the the Cyberpunk world. (laughs) It's from CD Projekt Red, who did Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, The genres are action and sci-fi. Director is Hiroyuki Imaishi, who did Gurren Lagann, Kill a Kill, and BNA. Script by Masahiko Otsuka, who did Gurren Lagann and Little Witch Academia. But uh, yes, this one, of course, it takes place in the cyberpunk world in the Night City, which is, of course, this kind of central location where everybody lives in, in the cyberpunk world. And it follows a guy named David. And David is currently enrolled in the Arasaka Academy in this Night City area. And he's kind of you get a quick glimpse of the idea. This guy is what some would deem as a street rat. He kind of lives in a low income home and his mother is trying desperately and working day and night in order to provide for him. To go to this academy because the hope is if he gets a good education, he'll get into this Arasaka company and then he will have a great life. Well, <laughs> he's, things don't go well. At some point, he ends up running into this tragedy that kind of pushes him against the wall. Like he's cornered. And so he ends up finding this 
spine, this implant spine, and has it implanted into him, and then ends up getting kind of dragged into a group of cyberpunks that are doing just different jobs on the side. And it kind of gets pulled into this. It's almost like the the gangster realm of this world. Despite the fact that his mother wanted him to get a good education and get a proper job, he's now kind of getting swept into the world of crime and stuff like that. So he ends up kind of joining this group, and that group kind of does different jobs for one specific company. Uh, they have this uh, this person that's kind of known as a fixer, and they will give them jobs, and they'll do those jobs, and they get paid for it. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the setup for it. We end up meeting this team, which is uh, we have it's head by mine, who is this big gruffy guy. He's kind of like your <laughs> your big your big brother kind of guy. He's the one that takes care of everybody and leads the group. We have Lucy, who is a hacker. Uh, Kiwi, who's another hacker. We have Rebecca, and then her brother Pillar, and they go off and do jobs and um, shenanigans, <laughs> shenanigans and violence and all that kind of good stuff. So yes, um, this series is absolutely fantastic from beginning to end. It's absolutely fantastic. I could not have asked for a better rendition of the cyberpunk world. I've obviously always, I've always loved the cyberpunk world. Um, Chris introduced us to the board game a long time ago and. It was a lot of fun, even though he always made like these characters that were stupid overpowered that would beat the crap out of our characters. And then we get bored and stop playing. <laughs> it was still a lot of fun. And obviously with Cyberpunk 2077, I was like, really excited for it. And obviously it's launched didn't do too well. So I just decided not to touch it. Um, it's obviously doing very well right now. <laughs> a lot of their numbers are shooting through the roof. And I think that is part in favor to the Cyberpunk Edge Runners, which I think did very successful for them and for Trigger. So it's good to see. It's kind of one of those success stories, those those experiments that end up working out very well. And I was checking out a lot of the interviews of the process in which they kind of went through to get this made was really interesting. This idea that, you know, CD Projekt Red going to trigger, having them work on this project, having this kind of back and forth between the two of them to really decide on what would actually work as an anime. And I think the end product of it, I did a whole video on this, by the way, check it out on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Spirit. We did, I did a whole video on this talking about the back and forth they had. And I think what came of it was something that both instills the, the essence of what cyberpunk is, the feel of the world itself, while at the same time, trigger. <laughs> trigger being trigger. Just the style and everything so fits trigger. Um, animation's fantastic. Um, the characters were really great. And I, and I think the, the thing that I take away from it so much is it's kind of like your whole aspect of the good boy that gets brought into the the gang, basically. And what they did so well is that, yes, the overall plot itself wasn't that interesting. The whole battle between the, the companies and all that kind of stuff. That wasn't really what made this show so great. What made this show go, so great was the characters. Was this band of guys that were just going out there and doing these jobs. It's the fun and the excitement that they get into was at the core of what I love so much about the show. I really enjoyed the characters. And I think on top of that, what other kind of central storyline they're really getting into is the descent of the cybernetics. Because this world is obsessed with cybernetics. Everything that you want, you can get a cybernetic for. You can basically replace most of your entire body. And what's kind of happening throughout the story is you're seeing the effects of what that has. If somebody uses cybernetics too much, there is this cyber uh, cybercosis, I think it's called. Um, cybersucosis or something like that. It's basically where you start losing your mind because you're using cybernetics too much. And I really loved how they portrayed that in the story um, and how they portrayed 
the effects and how you slowly descent in that. Uh, a prime example is having this character who is kind of finding themselves out in a just gigantic field. And they don't really know why they're there, but they kind of accept they're there. And then really quickly, snap, and suddenly their gun is pointing at their friend. It's that, that sense of them losing themselves slowly and slowly and then not even realizing it. And like I said, I think Trigger managed to really portray that really well. I really liked it. And, by the way, Rebecca is best girl. <laughs> Rebecca is best girl. Uh, despite the fact that, at least according to one interview, they, uh, CD Projekt Red wasn't okay with the idea of having her in it. Um, it does seem like the two of them end up coming to agreement that she had to be in it. And it turned out to be great because I think Rebecca was the reason why most people love this show. <laughs> uh, she's fantastic. Um, I loved all the characters. They were, they were really great. You have Lucy, who's kind of the... Uh, what do we call a femme fatale? It's it's like the 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 lure to wild. Like again, David is this boy that's trying to do good for his mother, and then he have that kind of enticement of this very mysterious looking woman that kind of pulls him into the world of cyberpunk. And again, having the mine who's like the big the big papa bear, basically the one that looks after everybody. Um, they had a really great cast of characters that really did submit myself in loving every single episode of this series all the way to the very end. So yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely loved it. It's it's pretty much a perfect show. Like, through and through, it's pretty much a perfect show that um, I highly suggest everybody check out. Um, it looks fantastic visually. The style. The music. Oh, my gosh. I almost forgot. The music is so good. Um, as per usual, vocals, very well done in music. Completely takes every single scene to another level. And I, I think I've said this many times before, especially with, like, Suwana Hiroyuki music. Um, I really wish that studios would utilize vocal tracks more because, again, I think it, it it enhances every single song to really cement a scene. So, yeah. I think I'm done. I think I'm done gushing. I think I covered everything. <laughs> Go watch it. It's fantastic. It's super – by the way, it's super mature. So keep that in mind. Super gory. Um, yes, a lot of mature content in there. So – Keep that in mind if your eyes are sensitive or you're watching with other people that might be eye sensitive. Because that's the thing. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to say, though, I, I think one of the other questions that this series does come up is it being a Western story. Because obviously they already had the script and everything made for it um, when they presented it to Trigger. I think even despite the fact that it is technically a Western story, it is a Western property. I still think that Trigger makes it an anime. Like, again, through and through, visually, the style, the over-the-topness. Like, there's an episode where I literally just said, that's Trigger. <laughs> like, that episode was Trigger just going, hey, it's our turn. We, we're we going to sneak this one episode in here and just get completely wild. Um, it still feels like an anime. It still has the aesthetic of anime. Um, and it doesn't... But I, I guess the thing that would be pulling away from anime is the fact that it doesn't have your anime tropes. Which I think most people, even if you're a, a big anime fan, I personally don't mind. I mean, I don't need anime tropes in there. I don't need him falling into a, a lady's crotch. I don't need him to have a harem. I don't need him to be isekai'd. It doesn't need to have your trappings of anime. It's just, it exists in its own. It's able to thrive without using those tropes. So, yep. That's uh, my review of Cyberpunk Edge Runner. I also have another video on our YouTube channel where I gush about it more. So if you want more there, check that out. Um, but yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Moving on. We have My Isekai Life. I gained a second character class and became the strongest sage in the world. 
or I'm not going to read the Japanese. <laughs> I have to. People love it. Tensai Kenja no Isekai Life Daini no Shokugyo wo ette Sekai Saikyo ni Narimashita. I, I, that was all right. That was all right. Yeah, you did all right. That was all right. Um, streaming on High Dive ran for 12 episodes, done by Studio Reverut. The source is a light novel. Genres are action, adventure, fantasy. Director on this one is Keisuke Kojima, who did Babylon Assistant, assistant Director. Uh, creator is Shoto Shinko, who did Strongest Sage with the Weakest Crest. So, obviously, they really like sages because they have two properties with sages. Um, yeah, this one follows a guy named Yuji. As we find out pretty quickly, he is an isekai. He was a corporate dog, basically, for the longest time in his previous world in Japan. And at some point, he found himself in this other world. And really quickly, he touches, like it was slime or something like that, ends up taming it. So he realized really quickly, I have the taming skill. Um, and it's kind of a gamey look, look, kind of world where, you know, you have prompts and stuff and screens. Uh, he quickly finds this building after being lured there by the slime, which has a whole bunch of books. And he finds out just by opening the book, he learns all the skills and stuff within the book. Ends up taming a whole bunch of slimes. All the slimes end up opening up all these books. And he learns a whole bunch of spells and becomes overpowered main character. As you do when you isekai. <laughs> I guess the interesting quirk that this kind of develops over time is that the unique ability that Yuji has, yes, he's a tamer. Tamers are kind of seen as weak. But he's also really powerful with magic itself, using incantationless spells and everything. But his unique kind of element is that he's able to transfer spells to his pets, his his tames. And so what you'll kind of see often is that he'll send his slimes out. The slimes aren't powerful, but he's able to transfer skills and spells and send spells through his tames. And they're able to be basically turrets. So he's got a whole bunch of slimes out there and they're all shooting spells that he creates himself. So it kind of makes him overpower in that idea. He's able to have his pets, you know, search ahead. He's able to have them have his abilities and he's able to use that to be overpowered because he's an overpowered main character. So No, what makes him overpowered is he doesn't have any mana limit. That too. <laughs> it's like why keep showing it? It doesn't matter, yeah, right? He's like he looks even, at it. He even took a, 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 a towards it. This is kind of spoiler, yeah, I guess if if you want to take it that. But at the end he's he he takes a, a a mana potion and drinks the mana potion Why? after he's yeah negative one million uh mana he takes and drinks a, a mana potion to go, put him back in front of the in the positive just to go in, in the negative again what what is even the point in having the magic system in general I, I don't get it yeah he looks at that and he sees this negative and he's like oh no and i'm like what Wait, what are we looking at? <laughs> like, that's normal. What 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 exactly on this screen is he upset about? Because the negative is not the nothing. So, I don't know. Maybe he knows there's a negative cap. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> there's a negative cap. There's a negative cap. That's all it is. Anyways, I, what's your, what's your thoughts on my Sekai life? This one is. Yeah, I I found more. I I get a kick out of the, the Andrew has in the cons boring MC. And in a way that that's probably the most apt at, uh, thing about this show. I could care less about Yuji, but I got more entertainment out of Proud Wolf, the the slimes, and uh, pretty much everybody but the main character. He just i i get and i I get the concept that he is the main driver for the show as the the character that everything is technically revolving around. But when it comes down to it. it I I guess I I like I said I get more of a kick out of everybody thinking that Yuji is the greatest ever and as like 
he didn't really do anything except for going to negative MP. <laughs> I it and it, that really is the biggest frustration is this this show has a a habit of or, or the story has a habit of um setting rules and then very quickly showing that those rules didn't really matter. Um he they they tried to do some kind of a um prophecy type thing in there and that was kind of interesting but immediately they showed that the prophecy is flawed in in a way um one person different people are kind of um looking at that prophecy and interpreting it in different ways and so yeah i guess that makes sense um per se but when it comes down to it it didn't to me, it, none of that really mattered, and I didn't much care. I just cared what was the slimes doing this this episode. <laughs> that I, I that time I didn't get reincarnated as a slime. I, I, I joked <laughs> about the fact that like Proud Wolf is like, yeah, that's totally not this one wolf from another particular show that we watched. <laughs> but no, it's it, this is kind of the primary example of any sekai that doesn't work for me. It's just it 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 hits it checks all the boxes, and that's the problem. It checks all the boxes. At the same time, making a character that's not likable. Usually you can have an isekai where it checks all the boxes, but it's still enjoyable. You won't say that it's like the greatest thing ever, but you say it checks the boxes and it has a character that you enjoy watching. Yuji is not enjoyable watching. He is such a blank character. The the it, it seems like the reason they're explaining that is the fact that, again, he was a corporate dog. He did everything his boss told him. He worked day and night. Um he seems to reflect often on this idea that he doesn't want to join parties because he knows how whenever parties bicker, it causes problems. Oh, yeah, by the way, back in my previous life, whenever we had meetings and everybody was arguing about what to do on a project, it never led to anything good. It's, but the problem still comes is that, one, he it doesn't change the fact that he's boring. But two, I don't really see much significant growth in him over a span of 12 episodes. He just seems pretty much the same as he was at the very beginning at the very end. And that, that kind of, again, bodes negatively to, I think he gains a lot of confidence over time. He gets very confident towards the later part. He obviously knows that he's super overpowered. <laughs> but at the same time, it's not enjoyable. Uh, the, a lot of the entertainment comes in the side characters that he ditches every two seconds. <laughs> like in an episode, you get an, a cast of characters added and he ditches them shortly later because he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want attention upon himself. He's doing crazy overpowered things and everybody notes it and then he leaves. Um, which is again, another trope, just the, I can't, I, I don't want attention character trope, but, um, yeah, I, I think early on, I did enjoy the fact that he was very unique in the idea of the transfer spell thing. I thought it was really cool. Like that makes that, that's super cool. The idea that he's basically creating a bunch of turrets. We usually get main characters overpowered. They, they're blasting things with their hand. And this one, it has like, he basically has a command center. He lays out this big command center and he goes through all this, which I thought was funny because they reuse that animation like every two episodes. Yeah. Um, he lays out this big old control panel of all these screens and he's throwing skills around and it's it's really cool. It's like he's orchestrating a battle. But then after the you know the second time of him doing that, it's like, okay, I, I, <laughs> it was cool, but <laughs> I'm bored of it now. Uh, plus hearing him yell spell transfer every two seconds is like, oh gosh, I'm so tired of hearing him say spell transfer, spell transfer, spell transfer, spell transfer. I, I get the point. I understand that if this, if the slime shoots a spell, I'm going to assume Yuji did a spell transfer because the slime can't use that spell. <laughs> and they um, have to prove that he's, he's doing this by make, showing his, his mana going down. Yes. <laughs> all in the negative over and over again, 
over and over again. Yeah, I, I think the overall plot with the whole prophecy and everything, again, I think it was kind of interesting at the very beginning, this idea of, okay, well, here's this prophecy that this dragon would appear, and they did this big summoning thing a long time ago. I wonder who it is. Um, and then getting into the cultists and how they all interpret things, making spin-off cultists. It was, it was weird because they kind of explained that there was a cult that was essentially the product of somebody just wanting to create hope, and then that created a cult that was against what he originally created for. It was just, again, I guess somewhat interesting, but for the overall storyline, doesn't seem like it bodes too much or bodes too well for anything interesting. So I don't know. It, it, it's a, it's overpowered main character with an interesting twist with the spell transfers. But in the end, like I said, it just wasn't good. <laughs> like it just wasn't good in the end. It just wasn't good. But, um, if any of that sounds to you, definitely check it out. My Isekai Life, I gained a second character class and became the strongest sage in the world. So, there you go, there you go, there you go, there you go. Moving on, we have Rent a Girlfriend, second season, or Kanojo Okarishimasu, second season. This one streamed on Crunchyroll, ran for 12 episodes, done by Studio TMS Entertainment. The source of the manga genres are comedy, romance, school, shonen. Moving on. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? It? Um... Yes, for some reason, another season of Rent a Girlfriend, and yes, we already have a confirmation for a third season, which some people say, hey, it's the third season's where the story's going to be at, but it's not that great. Um, it's like, can you say that this next arc is going to be much better than the rest of it when the rest of it is just not doing anything? So, anyways, yes. For those who don't know, uh, Rent a Girlfriend essentially follows Kazuya, who gets broken up by his girlfriend, and in a desperate desire to have something fill the gap in his heart he decides to get into this uh this the service which is called rent a girlfriend where you can rent a girlfriend and so he does that and rents chizuru this one girl that he quickly falls in love with um basically using that as a way of lying to himself that he has a girlfriend he really enjoys her but he gets caught up in his lies as he decides to take chizuru back to meet his grandmother so that she can kind of pass on knowing that he's got this great life ahead of himself with a, a wife and everything. And so happens his grandmother knows Chizuru's grandmother. So this lie just keeps spiraling out of control. Eventually friends end up seeing him with Chizuru. And so he has to lie that this is his girlfriend and he just kind of keeps having to hire her and get more and more locked up in the lie. Over time we meet the ex-girlfriend mommy and she, of course, is jealous. She's not over him, obviously. She's just super jealous. Uh, Sumi, who is a co-worker of Chizuru with the Rent-A-Girlfriend service, and Chizuru is trying to get her self-confidence up, so she has Kazuya date her. And then Ruka, who is this girl that runs into Kazuya, and he makes her feel doki-doki like she's never felt before, so she quickly falls in love with him. And yes, getting into the second season, most of the second season was really kind of focused on Chizuru. Kind of developing her as a character, we get to see more of insight into her whole thing, which is because she's working as a rented girlfriend to help train herself in acting, because obviously you have to act like somebody's girlfriend, but it's also to pay into her acting career. She's trying to become an actress. And so you kind of see her as she's trying to struggle with that acting career, getting landing jobs, and then eventually later on getting into what really inspires her. What's, what's her driving force? Why does she want to be an actress so much? Um, which was kind of tragic. So, yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> I still don't like this series. I'll never like it. Um, yes, the main reason why it's a bad series is Kazuya is a terrible character. Um, 
I, I think the initial draw to Rent a Girlfriend obviously is the great character signs, the cute girls, um, the goofy shenanigans of a harem. But I think it was kind of obvious and late in the first season, and it's even more obvious now than ever before. It, it's not a fun trash fire train wreck harem. It, this is a really toxic main character who just doesn't learn from any of his mistakes. Um, the the hope is, and I think we had that with the first season. The hope was like you see this guy and you feel for him. He's he's heartbroken. He lost this girl that he really did like, and he's trying to fill that gap. I think we've all had that experience with you know our, getting our heart broken and wanting to fill that gap and filling that void. And the hope was that eventually he's going to grow. He's going to learn something from something. And it, just, it doesn't seem like he ever learns. He's still stupid. He still does stupid things. And he still – and I think the problem that we get later in the first season and we're getting it especially in the second season, we're, we're learning that his stupid nature, his bad decisions is harming people around him now. His actions bring disasters to other people and it's not acknowledging any of it. It's just – it's toxic and – it's no longer fun in that regard. Seeing what's you know happening to Ruka, the fact that he's basically lied to her, saying that he's his girlfriend, and he's stringing her along. Having Sumi now getting involved with it, having Mommy on the sideline, constantly having it flaunt in her face. It, it just it it nothing nothing none of this is enjoyable. <laughs> none of it's enjoyable. Um, and again, I think it all culminates down to one thing: this writer is obviously obsessed with Chizuru. Like this this creator, the mangaka created Chizuru and it seems like he's obsessed with Chizuru and what comes from that is that you have the writer is basically voicing through Kazuya and so you have to hear on a regular basis every episode every two minutes the writer say how much he loves Chizuru through Kazuya and it's so annoying like I, I don't care anymore um, I think Chizuru is a fine character it's just I hate the writer constantly telling us how great she is through Kazuya and I, I think at some point it gets repetitive it gets annoying, it gets repetitive, and it's not fun. So I do think that a third season, if what people are saying it's going to get into, could be interesting because it did kind of ramp up at the very end. The last episode was pretty solid. But I still, in the end, I believe that it's not going to go anywhere because I already know, based on what people are freaking out about with the manga later on, nothing's going to change. <laughs> it's still going to be garbage. Kazuya is still going to be garbage. This is a series that is destroyed by its main character, and it's destroyed by its writer. I think... I'm, I'm convinced at this point this writer is just terrible at writing. Like, they they just suck. Like, they have no plan. They have no desire to develop characters. They have no dynamics to the characters. They keep doing the same thing every single story beat. And so it proves to me that the writer doesn't know what they're doing. And it just proves to me the writer just loves Chizuru, which is fine. <laughs> Love her all you want. Um, I've joked about it, and I'll joke about it again. I'm to the point now where I just want Mommy to school days Kazuya. Just end it that way. I, I I said when I was watching second season, I was like, you know, I'm just going to watch until Mommy does something really mean, and I'm just going to stop watching it. Sadly, spoilers, she didn't do anything this season. <laughs> so, they, they, they heard me. I, 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 I think still... They, they heard me say that I was waiting for Mommy to do something terrible and then stop watching it, and they're like, well, okay, we're going to have to hold that storyline back. Mommy can't do anything for a while. <laughs> I, I still stand by my word that uh, Mommy and, and Kazuya absolutely deserve each other. No, nobody, nobody deserves the suffrage of Kazuya. 
No, he like, absolutely I, does. Mommy is great. And, no, I and, and, and her does. and her just sleeping around with everybody else is just perfectly fine. And Kazuya stuck on mommy, and and she just treats him like the garbage that he is every once in a while. It's perfect. They they were perfect at the beginning of the show. I, I've come to the, the well. What I said in the first season is that um, I think Chizuru needs to get with Kazuya because she enables him to be the slob that he is. Because she said something at the end of the first season, which really made me mad. I was like, you're literally telling him to keep being the idiot he is. You're enabling him. You're giving in to what he wants. And I think that's terrible. It's, it's very toxic. Um, and why I say toxic and I'm getting so stuck up on the um, things outside of the goofy nature of harem is because this story is trying to be grounded as a drama. Yes, it's a comedy. Yes, it's a harem. But it's trying to be more grounded as a mature. These are adults. Let me be very clear. These are not children. These are adults. These they are in college. These are adults, and they're acting like idiot children. And <laughs> my whole point was though is that at some point I said Cheezer needs to be with Kazuya because she's enabling. And at some point, yes, I kind of ha- I felt the nature of mommy she, Kazuya that way she can make his life miserable. But at this point, this is a story where if any girl when most harems you're like your best girl, you want her to get with the main character because you want her to win and get what she wants. This is one of those ones where I don't want any of them to get with Kazuya because because getting with Kazuya they lose <laughs> in this story you don't win by getting with protagonists I want all these girls to leave even mommy I, I want them all to be happy somewhere else because Kazuya doesn't deserve any of them and he should just not that I need I think that his life should be over I just like it's he needs to grow up he needs to stick with his studies learn what he needs to learn in school grow up then find a relationship because obviously he's not grown up yet so you got me back into random. So we're moving on. Needless to say, I did uh, when we did our preview. I, I, or our uh, first impressions. I, I, I said that I probably wouldn't continue this show, or if I continued this show, I probably wouldn't review it. And of course, I did drop it. I, I didn't even want to put myself through that torture. <laughs> Good job, Chris. You avoided the torture. Um, no, I, I think it was sucked because early on, they're they're all fantastic seiyus, by the way. They they yeah. have a, an incredible cast. Now Toyama's Ruka. We have Aoyuki as mommy. We have Ryu Takahashi. We have um, Sora uh, Amamiya. Great seiyus. Like, they're all S-class seiyus. Um, and that was the initial draw, obviously, to the series. That and the artwork. Yeah. It, yeah, the artwork is just absolutely fantastic. So it just sucks that it's a terrible story. <laughs> it just sucks that it's a terrible story. Yeah, Rent a Girlfriend, second season. There you go. I will still watch the third season. I, I'm, I'm invested at this point. It sucks, but I don't know. Maybe I'll drop it at some point in this third season. We'll, we'll see. It's always a mystery. It's a continued mystery. Moving on, Ruby Ice Queendom. Ruby Hyoktsu Taikoku. This one's being done by Studio Shaft. It was streaming on Crunchyroll. Source is, of course, the animated series by Rooster Teeth and Monty Ohm. Um, rest in peace. The genres are action. The director is Kinjiro Okada, who did March Comes in Like a Lion, and also with the work of Toshimasu, uh, Toshimasa Suzuki. A series composition by and script by To Ubukata, who did Marduk's Scramble, Psycho Pass 2 and 3, Fafner Dead Aggressor, and Gets Arise. And apparently there was some planning and animation concept that was done by Jiro Buchi, whoever then, what, what do we even know that is? I don't think even at this point I've figured out what that is, but it's a thing, and Jiro Buchi's involved. His name's on the this, this screen, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for those that don't know, this essentially takes place in this world that was attacked by these things known as Grimms. 
some point, mankind is driven to the edge of existence until they discover this thing called dust. And they use this dust to fight back against the Grimms. They utilize their what they call aura and their semblance, which are these abilities, to fight back. And then we jump forward to this point in which Ruby is congratulating her sister Yang, who has just recently been accepted into the Beacon Academy, which is an academy that trains huntresses and hunters to fight against the Grimms. Um, unfortunately, Ruby's not been accepted yet. But after some, like, uh, robbery of some place that sells dust and Ruby coming in there and beating the crap out of him, she catches the interest of the folks at the Beacon Academy who ends up enlisting her in. So she's able to go to the Academy with her sister. Uh, on the way there, they end up going to this quick trial test. They throw them into this forest. They have to essentially make teams and survive. And so they basically create what we know as Ruby, R-W-B-Y, which is Ruby, Weiss, Blake, and Yang. Those four come together and become a team. Jump forward, we get into the Beacon Academy and quickly find out that after an episode change... Oh, by the way, uh, Weiss has been infected by this Grimm known as a Nightmare. <laughs> I like it doesn't even explain it. It's like suddenly we're in a dream world and like, oh yeah, by the way, Weiss is infected. <laughs> but no, the, some, there's a type of Grimm that is known as a Nightmare and essentially infects somebody and it puts them into almost a comatose state. And in this comatose state, the Grimm will feed off their aura and consume their aura and that's what feeds them. And the only way to break it is for somebody to go into this dream world of their mind and fight against the Grimm inside of them. Well, the problem is, and I don't know why I'm bringing it up because it's broken really quickly. The problem is that obviously inside the mind of somebody, it's only going to accept, I don't know why I see obviously in the mind of somebody, like this is a thing that actually people do. In this world, it's obvious that somebody could not enter somebody's mind unless that mind accepts them. So somebody they trust. So at the very beginning, it's only Ruby. For some reason, they think that Ruby's the only person that would, she would trust, even though I would argue against that. Ruby goes in there and tries to fight it, um, fails, and then we start to kind of figure out how can we approach the mind, the mind world of Weiss, which has all these fabrication of what she's going through, symbolic images of what she trusts and doesn't trust. Um, essentially, is a lot to do with her family um, being this big corporation that sells the dust. Um, all of the things that she sees in her mind that she struggles with and try to fight against that stuff to free her from the Grimm. So, yeah, we are joined with Ruby, which is kind of the main character. She's very ganky, very positive. She sees the good in everything kind of character. She ends up being the leader. Weiss, who is the one that they're entering her mind for pretty much the entire season. Weiss is, again, the daughter of this big family that basically, uh, um, gathers the dust and sells the dust. So they're a big, rich family. She's trying to prove herself being worthy of the family. So she's going to this academy. We have Blake, who is a previous member of the White Fang, which is a group of people that are all of this one race, which has been pretty much subjugated by, or at least looked down upon by the people of this world and especially this company. So there's a lot of uh, combat that's happening between the company and the white fangs. The white fangs are attacking their trains and shipments and stuff like that. Whereas Blake doesn't like this. So she's leaving the white fangs. And then we have Yang again, which is Ruby's sister. So, which don't really get much out of her besides the fact that she's her sister. Um, there you go. <laughs> did you watch any of this? Did you finish it? No, I didn't finish it, but I did uh, watch up till I, what episode eight or so. 
Wow, when, I got when, pretty far when, into it. When, got back when to the point where I was pretty much going, everybody was com- yeah, pretty much pretty much everybody and 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 then some was complaining about the the animation going to crap and yeah, yeah. that's about when I head fell off. There was two aspects. There was like one the animation falling off, and then two was the aspect of like by episode six you're going just just in this arc. This is not interesting. We're just doing the same thing over and over again. For those who don't know, it's essentially the first three episodes like this crazy high budget awesome looking like promo video essentially of the series which is essentially basically rushing through most of the beginning story of the original ruby and then from four on to i think like the first half of the last episode is all original which is the ice queendom which is this nightmare attacking wise and then i get apparently like the very end of the series they do this one scene from the original which was a food fight so and yes ramp up the animation for that again (laughs) it's like anything that was from the original series they tried to one-up it by doing incredible animation but this whole original section here not good animation at all very unimpressed especially for shaft very very unimpressed um but what'd you think of it up to that point (laughs) i i i do see a lot of what um here's my my frustration um I I did go into kind of the parts where where people were saying hey this looks bad and I and I do get that. I I I don't I don't didn't care for the whole uh CG parts where it just it looked to me horrible. Um but the rest of it I I just kind of went with um the storyline was okay. I didn't I wasn't specifically bothered by it. I did get the concept of the of of Weiss. And I I liked the idea of the Sillies keeping the Sillies under control, um, but still acknowledging that you need the Sillies. That's why she kept them in 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 the in a little playpen just for themselves. Um, the the part where I started to fall off was uh, she had had the Blake and the um, the White Fangs off to the side where she didn't have to think about them. Stuff like that was really kind of an interesting concept. But having an interesting concept and actually following through and pulling that stuff off are two different things. Um, yeah, you basically named the two interesting concepts that were in a span of what nine episodes. Yeah, <laughs> eight it's, episodes. It's it's this this is the the issue is is it didn't a it, lot of this was just absolutely bombarded with these over the top. Um, animate, uh, not animations, but, um, uh, battle scenes, which really didn't accomplish much. And they like Andrew or like pretty much everybody. And then some were saying it didn't look that great. It was passable to me. I, I, it was okay. Battle scene again, battle scene going. And I mean, even the, 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 the frustrating thing is when, when, when I talk about, uh, uh, Ruby in the Western version. One of my biggest beefs with it was I didn't care for the um, the um, the fact that it was CG. But I always gave it credit for its animation. It looks really fantastic when they pull off their battle scenes. It looks fantastic. They're creative and they had a lot yeah. of choreography. It, but when it Essence, there was an aspect to the fight scenes where it was very well plotted out. It yeah. wasn't just simple as slicing at each other. Now, when I go into this one, which is this kind of hybrid between the two, it did, they didn't pull it off. No, no matter how you look at it, it, they didn't pull it off. And and that's my biggest frustration is 
Um, I'm I'm wanting to see Shaft's version of Ruby. I the first three episodes were Shaft's version of Ruby. I don't know what the heck this other part was. So it is what it is. Um, I basically I'm not satisfied. Yeah, I think that was the big issue. Is coming into it, you you yes, my history is I've I was first kind of introduced to Monty Ohm with his um, was it Dark Fantasy or something like that. His his YouTube videos where he just had combat fights between different characters. Um, Dead Fantasy is Dead Fantasy, right? I don't know. Anyways, he had he was I doing. I only know about <laughs> Red and Blue, so he was doing these fight scenes, and it was really cool. And then later on, I learned about Ruby and uh, Rooster Teeth and how they were doing this big animated series. And yes, I kind of peeked in it and I said, well, that CGI looks super stiff. Not interested. Every now and then I would see a fight scene. I'm like, that, 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 the fight scenes themselves were really cool. That's what I would I knew technically Montiel for. Um, so the, the big, yes, the big thing was we announced Ruby Ice Queendom and everybody's excited. I'm excited. Like, holy crap, there's so many big names on this. Kendra Okada, Toa Obukata, uh, again, General Butchie, however the hell he's attached to it at all. And yes, Shaft. It's, yeah, Shaft, you would think, you know, pretty high pedigree. So when I get into this and I see the first three episodes, I'm like, holy crap, this is hype. I was super excited about the series. We did our first impressions, unfortunately, when we watched the No, we watched the fourth episode, and I think I was noting the fact that I'm like, yeah, I think the first three episodes was like the get everybody hooked into this, and then the fourth episode was like, all right, this is the standard. And it, it ended up being that. That was the standard. We're we're not doing what we did in the first three episodes. That was just to get people into this, basically a promo video. Again, my I'd argue the idea they wanted to one up Rooster Teeth by doing an incredible job with the parts that was an adaptation of their story. And then beyond that, it's just woof. Um, that's the problem. And and it's funny because I I made the big argument and obviously I made a video on it talking about how this does not look good. This is this is not doing any justice to the original work, and it's. It's it's it looks worse than the original work. I would rather watch the original work if if the Ice Queendom part was adapted by Ruby. I'd rather watch it there, or by Rooster Teeth. I would rather watch it there because this doesn't impress me. This is not doing anything significant. And when it gets to the fight scenes, I would imagine that Rooster Teeth would probably done a better job. And that's the sad thing because if what I'm coming to Ruby for was those incredible fight scenes, which I think most people praise the original Ruby for, and I don't get it here. What's the point? That comes down to the actual story, which the story, again, spins at will. Like you can get – you could probably watch the fourth episode and then immediately jump to the last episode because everything in between – yes, the cool symbolisms about the the caged up people that are being hided away. Again, the aspect of the white fangs being distant. The symbolisms were cool, but you get the symbolism pretty quickly. You don't need to <laughs> – drag it out for eight episodes it was just constantly they go in they fail they they devise another plan they go in they fail they devise another plan they go in they it just keeps repeating itself and it's not interesting so that's the big hang-up i can get over the bad animation i've dealt with bad animation plenty of times i need substance to help there's no chemistry here there's no character chemistry there's barely any um Okay, I will say there's barely any character chemistry, um, and it wasn't until like the last episode I realized, oh crap, you guys can actually write character interactions and chemistry, because last episode showed me like, wow, these characters can interact with each other, but this whole segment of this dream world, I didn't get any of that. I just got really what people believe other people believe in themselves, or think of themselves. So, yeah, overall, it was just, 
super boring, that entire dream uh, sequence. It was just nothing was really happening. It didn't have good animation. And again, I think that's Shaft. Come on, Shaft. <laughs> like, Shaft has been really uh, losing it for me lately. And I, I think that's really um, disheartening because I used to love Shaft. Shaft has done some amazing stuff in the past, and it feels like they're just not they're not doing it anymore. Um, could be issues with the studio or something like that. That's fine. I understand that. But this is this is the the format that I watch. I'm not going to go buy the Blu-ray. And I doubt the Blu-ray is going to fix all the issues they have with this series. Um, it's, it's just unfortunate. And then you have the continuity issues and the, the story uh, logic issues. The idea that they establish early on that nobody can go into Weiss's mind unless they're somebody that she trusts. Well, they would have Weiss to never trusts Ruby. Weiss doesn't, definitely doesn't trust Blake and doesn't even know Yang. And yet she's letting all these people into her mind after they establish that you have to be somebody they trust to go into their mind. It, none of it makes any sense. Why they're basically putting themselves in a situation where they could die for somebody that literally they've only known for maybe a day and that person hated them. It doesn't make any sense logically why these characters are doing it or why they're allowed to do it. Um, it, it yeah, you set your own rules and you break them, but whatever. Sorry. And not to mention the fact that they would have to fix literally nine episodes worth of the show. Yeah, I mean, not going to happen. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the time when they do touch-ups for Blu-ray, it's usually like an episode that, that has been messed up or maybe two episodes or piecemealing fixes throughout the show. Not nine episodes. They're not going to bother. Yeah, the worst, the, the biggest change I've seen Shaft specifically do was Mikaku City Actors, which they had like an entire episode they outsourced that was, bleh, <laughs> was absolutely terrible. Um, and they, they basically fixed that. I think most of that pretty much in an entire episode. So, but yeah, it's usually like keyframes, like this, this segment to this segment, they'll, they'll fix how this person moved their arm or something like that. It's not revamping an entire episode. That would take way too much. It would essentially be them animating a, a series twice. Yeah, and then only getting paid for it once. They're not going to do that <laughs> unless unless Rooster Teeth uh, finds somewhere in a contract that that voids what they did, and they're going to I don't know sue them or something like that. It's not going to happen. Anyways, that's Ruby Ice Queendom. There you go. That happened. <laughs> that happened. <laughs> Let's move on. Vermil and Gold or Kinsol no Vermil. Uh, I'm not reading. <laughs> I gotta read it. Gakapuchi <laughs> Majutsu or Majutsu Sushi. Wa saikyo no wakusai to maho sekai wo suki susumu. I hated this one last time. Uh, this one streamed on High Dive Run for 12 episodes, done by Studio Staple Entertainment, sources of manga. Genres are ecchi and fantasy. Director is Takashi Naoya, who did 3D Kanojo. Childhood Friend Won't Lose. The series composition by Tatsuya Takahashi, who did Slime. Uh, I've been killing slimes for 300 years. Idol Master Cinderella Girls, Idolly Pride, and Domestic Girlfriend. See, this one takes place uh, following a guy named Alto, and Alto is a part of this Magic Academy, and he's got really good grades. He's he's excelling really well, but he finds out that he's going to basically be held back a year because he needs to summon his familiar. Uh, he's not he's is despite being good at everything else, he can't seem to summon a familiar, and so he's going to be held back. And that's mainly because the next the following year. A lot of the curriculum is around them utilizing their familiar. So he's looking around. He's he's kind of sulking around. He eventually goes to this library trying to look for some information. And then he ends up having this book fall on his head from a high shelf. Looks at it and realizes, hmm, I wonder if this is a summoning book. It looks like it's got a summoning circle in it. So he goes home and <laughs> sets up the summoning circle. And this demon is summoned, Vermil. And come to find out, 
from Vermil. Uh, the reason why he hasn't been able to summon a familiar for so long is because he's got so much mana capability that if a familiar were to accept a contract from him, they would just die. <laughs> um, but reversal, most people that would possibly summon Vermil, a demon, would die because they would be depleted so much. So it kind of works out in the idea that he's never been able to summon because he has too much mana. And most people would not be able to summon Vermil because she takes too much mana. So it works for him because he has so much mana. So uh, much to the <laughs> dismay of his long friend Lilia uh, coming to school the next day with this <laughs> big-chested hot demon girl. Well, they don't know that she's a demon. She hides her tail and everything. They just says that he summoned this 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 girl. And uh, they accept a normal because, common girl. <laughs> yeah, they, they they accept it because she has the whole summoning mark. It's obviously proof that this is his familiar. Um, it's just everybody's jealous because he's walking around with this really hot chick, while everybody else has got like you know like small little dragons or a cute little uh, esper looking thing. I don't know, but uh, yeah, the obviously the, the more interesting aspect of it is that they she likes to take his mana by kissing him, so she does a lot of overly crazy stuff with him and tries to you know sleep with him and, and gets naked a lot so that's all the goofy shenanigans surrounding that um the cool thing that kind of comes from it and i thought was kind of interesting early on was this aspect that it's not as if he kind of goes into a battle and vermil just destroys everything because she's super overpowered obviously um but it's more of an aspect that she's constantly taking mana from him and then eventually whenever they do go to fight she's able to essentially amplify that mana and and kind of enrich it and she's able to give it back to him so that he can use it in combat which he's really good at like i said he's he's excels at everything else it's just the the summoning thing was his problem so he's able to use that man mana in a really cool way to fight back against uh different people so and we could eventually find out you know she she says at some point that she was sealed away on for a good reason she did a lot of naughty things in the past so you'll eventually get into what that is and you get into the whole uh kind of hierarchy system of the school itself you learn about the what they call the shields they're different the ranks, squares. Of, different ranks of squares, and he's seeking to become like the platinum square, which is the mainly because the platinum squares are people that have been known or been acknowledged for doing great things to the world of magic and everything. And he really does seek to obtain that goal so that he can help benefit it as well. So he does have a proper goal that he's seeking. So, your thoughts? This is a goofy show. <laughs> um, there, uh, a lot of the 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 goofy. Uh, Etchy hijinks, a lot of fun. When you get into the world itself, it sets up very quickly a, um, like Andrew had mentioned, this this achievable goal for the for the main character, setting up the um, his his abilities and how that all works. I, I thought that was done done pretty well when when Verme finally re- reveals that hey, it's not that you don't ha- you don't have the ability to. To summon, it's that everybody, everything is scared to death to um, to be summoned by you, and I thought that was an interesting little tidbit to give him a um, an answer for the reason why he could not do what he was having such a hard time doing, um, and at the same time, like Andrew was mentioning, basically turning Verme into effectively a mana battery uh, for him was was really kind of a neat little setup. So that he is nat- naturally the one that is um, has these abilities, and her augmenting his abilities. Yes, she is powerful in her own right, but using using that that interplay between the two, you get the sense of 
really Alto, yes, he's OP per se, but he's not so OP that he doesn't have room for growth. And that I think was well done in that, that respect. Um, you have the, the factions that were eventually, um, uh, revealed later. You have the, the school, um, the, the, not the faculty, but you have the, um, student councils that, that each of them are in their own way. They have their own, uh, strengths. And so that when, um, they, they're, they're semi-neutral in the, the aspect of they don't trust Alto and, and he's not sure if he can be a part of that. So the, it seems like there's a lot of decent writing in here. Um, not, blow me away make me think uh outside of the box but it is doing just fine and i think that 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 is one thing that it that this show has is that it has some decent writing that keeps you entertained and has gives you something in, on the sidelines to keep the the story moving forward i think that's pretty much where i sit is i i i think early on i was enjoying it because it was more about the goofy harem-esque uh, shenanigans, etchy fun, and loved a lot of the goofy moments with Lilia and stuff like that. But I think the problem is that, like, at some point, it feels like the writer starts to really get into stuff, and I didn't really find any of it all that interesting. Um, getting into, I think Vermil's past was really tragic, and that was a heartbreaking episode. But I think for the most part, a lot of the stuff with the interplay with you know the student council, this crazy guy within the school that ends up causing a problem. And all the stuff they were trying to get into the very end with these randomly showing up, this other party that randomly shows up that we didn't really get into that much, uh, probably season two or source material bait. Um, all that stuff is kind of like, yeah, I guess an excuse to see, you know, how overpowered Alto is or something like that. But for the most part, it did. It was. It was a. I wasn't interested in it, and it wasn't. It didn't add anything that I needed to have in a goofy, etchy show. Um, so I think that's the problem. Is that kind of inability to have a, a, I guess a focus. It's like it builds up to this point where there's this big um, turning point for Otto and Vermil's relationship. Again, then getting into more of the aspect of pulling him into the student council or whatever. That stuff just kind of like okay, I guess something to keep driving the story forward, but for the most part when I look back on it, it's like I don't I didn't really get much out of any of those situations. I, I think it was better off when it was just goofy shenanigan, harem, etchy fun. But it wasn't, it wasn't bad at the same time. It was enough... Enough story beats to keep an etchy show going, which I guess is a a bonus. But yeah, kind of one of those ones where it was kind of a shrug. Um, we'll, we'll probably get a sequel at some point, <laughs> knowing the anime sphere now and, and giving sequels to stuff that I I kind of shrug at. But it was fine. Visually, it looked fine. I, I was kind of impressed by a lot of the action scenes. I I really didn't. It, it's one of those things where when you see an etchy show like this, you kind of expect the animation to be bad. And it was there was a couple points where it actually impressed me with the with the animation, but. There, there you go. Vermilion Gold. If you want some etchy, goofy, magic school, overpowered main character fun, I think it fits the bill. Definitely fits the bill. Anyhow. Shadowhouse second season. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll for 12 episodes done by Studio Cloverworks. The source is a manga. The genres are Slice of Life, Supernatural, and Seinen. But yeah, this one uh, follows... Uh, this one takes place in the Shadowhouse, which is this big house on the mansion. And within this mansion are the Shadowhouse family members. And each of these Shadowhouse family members are essentially silhouettes. They're like nothing but black. And that's kind of the, the difficulty they face is that 
since they're, you know, they, there's basically silhouettes, you can't really see their expressions and stuff. So a lot of these Shadow House family members have the, what they call living dolls at their side. And these living dolls serve as their faces. And these, these living dolls are, again, like dolls. And they kind of almost mimic everything and expression that the Shadow House family member do. And they serve as that face to the public and to other people. Well, we follow quickly Kate, who is a new member of the Shadow House family. And she is given the living doll, Amilico, to be at her side. And you kind of get the inners and outers of what is going on in this house itself. As they sort of have to learn how to coexist with their living doll. And their living doll has to learn how to mimic their expressions and what they're feeling. Um, Over time in the first season, we got to the point where Kate had to go to this debut. And this is where we'll get into some soft spoilers here. She ends up passing the debut, going back to the children wings. And this is where they're really starting to ramp up what is expected of them, what their daily duties are, all leading up to the point where they hope that one day they will get an invitation from Grandfather to lead the children's wing and enter into the Grandfather's wing, which is pretty much them becoming an adult. Um, So that's a lot of the focus of everybody. They all want to become an adult. They all want to fulfill what Grandfather wants of them. Um, And so I, I think the other kind of interesting thing is here, we're getting more into what... We kind of... We got into it quite a bit with the first season is getting into... What is where I'm, I'm struggling what I want to say. Um, <laughs> I really want everybody to watch the show and not spoil a single thing about it. Um, getting into where the living dolls come from, um, essentially how uh, the Shadow House family members come to be. A lot of that mystery was we're getting into with the first season and getting into the second season. We're seeing kind of the effects of that as Kate now no longer wants to have anything to do with the Shadow House. She actually wants to build. Um, she wants to gather allies to fight against grandfather and the shadow house um, because she sees how they came to be and what is the secrets behind the shadow house and so she wants to destroy it and that's kind of the big hook in that whole thing also in the second season we learn more about the star bearers the star bearers are pretty much um other children that are in this children wing that actually you know rule everything they're the hall monitors basically um so getting more into them especially barbara who is one of the main focuses of the star bearers getting into her past and this cloaked figure that appears in the children wing that's causing problems. And they're trying to find out the identity of who's this cloaked figure that's causing problems. So I think I did well there. <laughs> I think I did well there. Your thoughts on Shadow House second season? I really do love this show. Um, from the aesthetic to the characters to the storyline, I there I, I have yet to find something that I really don't much care for in the show. Um, I, well, other than, than a certain character, not, not reappearing after a long, long time, but that's beside the point. Um, (laughs) I really do love this show. I, I love the characters. Um, I, I think that the, the subterfuge that is going on is, is really well thought out in a lot of ways. I, the only thing that I kind of wish they didn't do, um, is every once in a while there's this, oh, I was, I was, I was, uh, I had knowledge of all this all along and that get, gets kind of annoying here and there. But other than that, it, that's just a small quibble when it, when it comes down to it, it, everything about this show is so far, I've very much enjoyed. Um, I really do love the growth that, uh, Emilico and, and Kate have shown over the year or over the, the, the seasons, Emilico constantly, having this this frustration of dealing with the kind of the 
side that, uh, well, effectively the side that she has to deal with and Kate having dealing with the side that she has to deal with uh, um, in these two basically classes of, of groups. You have the shadows and you have the, the living dolls and the living dolls and the and the uh, the shadows are only connected only in their aspect of basically Emilico is Kate. And so the, those two, I do like the, um, this, this is the frustrating thing is I don't know if I can even talk about the, the coffee without spoiling anything. I like the coffee. Um, I think that that is an absolutely fascinating aspect of the, um, losing themselves for, it's basically a control. Yeah. It's a control and the, the losing themselves, uh, and what that eventually will cause. Yeah, later on the second season, getting more into more exactly what the whole aspect of the coffee was 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 pretty interesting. I, I could I definitely agree with that. So, I, overall, yeah, I'm I highly suggested. Uh, I I think it's a great show. Yeah, I I um I obviously from the very beginning from Shadow House, I was immediately hooked by the aesthetic. It's got this gothic look to it, very Victorian gothic or something like that. It looks incredible. And just the idea of like these, again, these shadow family members that are just, they basically just like silhouettes. What was so interesting was, again, having the aspect of the living dolls having to be their their faces was super intriguing. And slowly getting the sense that Kate in this world, there's no guidance. Like, it felt like nobody had any guidance. We're, Kate's supposed to figure out what she's supposed to do in this children wing to become, you know, to debut. They didn't know what they had to prove in the debut. It's just they got kind of thrown into it. And then you had some of the members were going, oh, obviously it's to see that you know how to use your living doll. Your living doll is a perfect mirror of you. So you had some of them, if they slightly tilt their head, their living doll would tilt their head. It was like they were a mirror of them. But again, one having an actual face to see, while one, you couldn't even see them. And that was truly intriguing to me. Um, I think the biggest problem that this story has right now as its two seasons are over is that there was an issue with the first season where they kind of changed things around because, like, even the writers said themselves, I didn't know this was going to be a second season. So we wrote it in the way that it would make sense if you just watched the first season. So the only problem that overall it has really is getting into the second season, you do see a lot of characters talking about things that you're like, we already know this. <laughs> like. It's like the characters are finally discovering things that we technically already kind of figured out in the first season. So it did feel like it spin its wheels a little bit. And that was mainly because they didn't want to have to rewrite everything because that stuff was kind of pushed forward. It doesn't feel off. Don't get me wrong. It just feels like sometimes the characters are bringing up stuff and you're like, I, I thought we already knew that. Uh, okay, I guess they're figuring out it now. Um, so it's fine. It's just it does feel like. You know, I, sometimes I would go, did I just figure that out my own or did they just finally figured that out? Because um, there's a lot of really cool things in here that it's slowly unraveling. And I think the way that it's presented a lot of that stuff has been really interesting. And every single time something gets revealed about the mechanics of this this mansion, it intrigues me more and wanting to know more. And that's, I think, the big driving force for me wanting another season, another season and getting the source of material or something is because every reveal is like, okay, that's got to be it. Like, that's got to be all the writer has planned. And then suddenly another reveal happens. You're like, gosh, I love this. I love how they're evolving this stuff. Um, and I would, I, I truly believe, and it's what kind of sucks, is I think they learned from their mistake with the first season. The last episode was like, it felt like, oh, wait, is there another episode? <laughs> like, it felt like it was building right into the next thing. And I was getting super intrigued by it. the bells. I want to know what's going on with the bells. Um, and Emilico's growth as a character from what I've always loved Emilico for being this bright sunshine. Like Emilico is super 
like she's Genki, but not annoying Genki. She's just she's a bright sunshine in this really kind of dark themed world. It's not dark like violent, you know, though you can kind of argue it sometimes. Um, it's just a dark feel, and she's this ray of sunshine. They even joke about like the, one of many of them call her sunshine. Um, she's this ray of sunshine, and I've always loved her for that. But getting into the end of the second season, I'm like. I realize I'm like I think they're doing something with her. Like they're li- they're literally doing something really cool with her that I want to see. Like this to have that feel that whenever a season ends, you're just like, please, I desperately need more of this. This isn't like a I really really loved Licorice Coil. Please give me another season. This is I want to see more, and I see where you're going with this, and you obviously have a path laid out, and it seems like you should have no more content to work with, but this writer keeps creating new things that I want to see where it goes to as it goes along. And yes, technically to give credit to Chris, there's still a big answer that's not been given to us from the first season. And I want to know what the heck they're doing there. <laughs> if it's going to have a, a resolve. Um, I love all these characters. I think even the bad, uh, the, the bad guy characters are interesting. Like Edward, I hate him, but at the same time, he's interesting. He is our kind of look into the adults side of everything, even though he's kind of at the edge of the, of the, the mansion with the adults, um, every little part of it, I want to know more. And every character that I see is kind of being portrayed as evil. I know there's something else. Barbara, I knew there's going to be something about her. And as we get into her, I'm like, holy crap, Barbara as a star bearer, um, her whole story and her backstory that we got into the second season is like super tragic. Like, cause it's, it's basically tragedy through just not being told what's happening around you. And she's upset, but she doesn't realize the bigger picture, which is, trying to keep her safe. And I think I, it is, I can't get enough. Of it. I want more. Oh, I thought, I, I thought one of the, one of the aspects, I mean, Barbara, it, it absolutely was fantastic this season. Um, I, Barbara like was Andrew, totally a Milico. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I was getting ready to say. I, I love the fact that, um, there is that, um, that flip of the switch of something that happened to uh, Barbara, Barbara, and and what happened to that, and and how much of a, a contrast there is, and it, I I thought that was fantastically shown in in this season. Uh, it, it, and giving credit because I I agree with Andrew. It, it it seemed like they it took forever to get into that backstory, and then when we finally got it, um, it was. Yeah, it was a, it was satisfying, but it was like, why did you wait so long to get to this? But yeah, it was great. I love it. You know, it's 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 a and then and then <laughs> and continue. Can you continue? Um, yeah, it kind of it, again, it kind of opened doors to just more stuff. Like I said, every time, and we haven't even touched and semi. Uh, it's very very slight spoilers here. I think, in my opinion, we haven't even touched Godfather the uh, grandfather's wing yet. We haven't even gotten to that stuff. It's like it feels like we're barely even like here's the layout of this mansion and we're just still way over here. Like, it feels like a game where you're trying to progress to this mansion. And it's like, we're just, we we're Castlevania. We're still <laughs> yeah, over exactly. here. <laughs> <That's not laughs> like, we still thing. have the rest of this mansion to go through. <laughs> um, every now and then we'll get a cut scene showing over here, but we're still over here. Um, if we even ever get into this area, we might just be, just we're still in the garden house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just, uh, yeah. Maniac mansioning right now. It's, it's so good. I, I love the aesthetic of it. I love the feel of it, the music, um, the work that Cloverworks has put into it, a lot of the backdrops, everything. They just do an incredible incredible job of portraying this series, and I just cannot get enough of it. I love all the characters. I break for the characters. I feel for the characters. I smile for the characters. Um, and that's a sign of some really fantastic writing. So, 
Gosh, there's so much I want to talk about, but there is so much here that I I want to emphasize on how much I enjoy this show by pointing out things. But I don't. I want everybody that has not watched the series to go in completely fresh. That I want people to experience the same thing I experienced. So I don't want to get into any of it. So (laughs) there you go. That's Shadow House second season. If you want to get my thoughts, I made episode by episode impressions on YouTube. um, If you want to hear my spoiler thoughts, yeah, there you go. There you go. Moving on, we have Dropkick on My Devil X, or Josh and Chan Dropkick X, the third season of the Josh and Chan series, backed by popular source crowdfunding stuff. <laughs> uh, but yes, for those who don't know what Dropkick on My Devil it is, it essentially follows a girl named Yurine, who is in our modern times Japan. At some point, she decides to summon <laughs> something, and she ends up summoning a demon called Joshin. And the kind of quirk here is that Joshin believes that she's super overpowered. She's obviously this great demon from the hells and doesn't like the idea that she's now essentially locked into Yurnay. And so she seeks to kill Yurnay so that she can be freed and that she can return back to hell. And the problem is that Yurnay is really strong. <laughs> For a human, Yurnay is very, very strong and she's always able to thwart Joshin's plans and brutally <laughs> decimate her. Um, and over time, we're agreed with a lot of different people from hell who come up to Earth and or the surface and hang out with Joshin and Yurine. And then over time, we meet the angels that have basically fallen from heaven, and they come and hang out with them as well. And this particular season, we get the introduction of uh, Yurie, who is essentially Kami, like the one that leads all the angels. And so all the angels are afraid that she's come down to <laughs> basically dispose of them because they failed, um, but also... Miku, which is the most important thing, is that we have the <laughs> introduction of Miku randomly. We also have the vampires. The vampires suddenly appeared towards the later part of the season, which kind of sucks because I really like the introduction of the vampires. Uh, they're essentially seeking to bring Urine into their fold because they found out that there's this human that is basically able to tame all the demons and the angels uh, because Urine is so cool and everybody likes hanging out with her, so... Yes, your, your thoughts on Dropkick on My Devil X, the uh, tourist version. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and this th- that that actually is quite apt. Um, I do like some of the humor that um, Dropkick on My Devil adds. Um, it it does have this kind of um, sadistic, weird um, humor that's involved with kind of a over extreme version of um, slapstick. And I do kind of enjoy that that interplay in a lot of cases. It's However, kind of a, it's it's a type of humor that we've kind of lost. I mean, we used to have a lot of shows back in the day, like Dokoro-chan and stuff like that, where like these really violent, gory, uh, slapstick humor, like literally slapping stick and head and and gushing blood. Yeah. But it's something that's kind of a lost uh, art in anime. We don't usually get that type of violent comedy, and so I think that was the original appeal of the first season of the series that was that aspect. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's funny because in, in the second season, I want to say that we kind of, it wasn't that it dropped off really bad, but it, it did still, it was like, it was adding new characters to kind of refresh the idea behind it. Mm-hmm. And this season kind of did that as well, but it didn't, um, it didn't play as heavy on it. Um, with the introduction of, uh, Lyrae, you, you do get that kind of, uh, appeal in a way where it, they're adding this character and this character and they're, and how does that kind of uh, mix into it? And 
you kind of see it to a point where it's like, okay, I see what you're trying to do here. I I I like it, but it's not it's not hitting the same way as it was in the first season. And in the second season, you had that a lot where they were adding more characters, and it was like every two or three episodes, it was adding a new character. and And how did that fit into the 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 overall? And it's funny because some of the characters work. Um, like my all time favorite is easily Medusa. Medusa. For whatever reason, there's something about the uh, Medusa Joshin uh, ATM. Yeah, it, that that works like fantastically. Uh, some of the best episodes in this particular season was really absolutely fantastic with uh, the Medusa high. Um, so I really really love that. Um, it, and it and it's funny because the what Andrew had pointed out this whole. Um, uh, tourism version of uh, uh, Dropkick on My Devil is one of my biggest flaws with this season. I I really really was bored with the whole Josh and Chan um, got got her in into a whole bunch of debt and then ran off, and so we went from from place to place, and then however they kind of worked into the other characters into that particular area. They suddenly randomly appear in there too. <laughs> it's like Joshin has fleed the debt collectors and every now and then she's trying to figure out a way of making money in different locations. Like she sees something that's really cool and she's like, oh wow, that can probably make a lot of money. Let me buy a bunch of those and see if I can resell them. But it's always like, okay, she's fleeing and she's going to all these locations, but then randomly suddenly out of nowhere people show up. Oh, we're here to help with this farm. Okay. <laughs> just get him just roped in. And it, it it was one of those things that I just did not find. I, I got the humor. Don't get me wrong. It just it wasn't working for me. Um, however, after a certain point, like I said, they started uh, kind of playing into the Medusa section. And then from that point on, the, the last few episodes, I was really having a, a blast. And it was like... Acute this was is, great. I loved Acute Day. Yeah. The, there, there was a lot of the... the um, the old humor was back and it was like, especially with Yurine and, and her, her laugh. I, I get such a kick out of it when Yurine actually does her laugh. It, she has this almost uh, laugh at the absurdity of these characters that are interplaying around her. And I just love it. And, she's and always it, like stone faced. So whenever something yeah. like really bad happens to Josh and <laughs> she starts laughing like crazy and it's like, Oh wait, Yurine is laughing. It's always, it always catches me off guard whenever she starts laughing. And so I, I, I did, I, I, the last few episodes, I was really having a blast of, of, of yes, this is this is the humor that I love of this show. So um, there's this section that I didn't like, but the rest of it was fine. I I, I enjoyed myself watching some of it. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I mention it every single season, well, especially since the second season onwards. I always kind of mention this idea of like Josh and Chan Dropkick is one of those series where I don't necessarily go out of my way to tell people you need to go watch the show. It's so great. Because it's kind of one of those shows that early on, like I said, it was kind of a guilty pleasure in the idea that this is a type of humor that you just don't see anymore, the violent, the violent humor. Um, and, but early on, I can honestly say that, like, Joshin was never the appeal to the series for me. Mm-hmm. It was mostly Urinae. Then Medusa was a huge hook for me. I loved Minos. Um, I liked Picora like, right at the very beginning, but Picora got really annoying really quickly. It's kind of one of those things where the violent humor drew me into it. But then each introduction of each character was always funny. Like I always, it was essentially a character introduction was the building of a punchline, and then you got to the punchline, and it kind of moved on to the next character. And the yes, the issue with that is after three seasons, there's too many characters. <laughs> but 
each punchline was great, and I enjoyed the introduction of each character. Um, second season was great, too. I enjoyed adding each character. But, again, it was one of those things where I didn't see it as, like, this amazing show. And thus, I never really go out of my way to tell people, oh, my gosh, you got to watch Josh, and it's so funny. It's just I've kind of grown to like these characters, and so I'm just kind of in with the, in the enjoyment of keeping and going. It's not like one of those shows that keeps going, or, like, you know, I'm invested at this point, I might as well watch it. It's not kind of like, it's not that. It's just I enjoy these characters, and so each time they add a new one, I'll enjoy it. The biggest fault that I've seen, and I, I, don't, I haven't checked the source material to make sure, my assumption what happened with the third season is that they crowdsourced it, they got the money they needed to crowdsource it, and they probably crowdsourced a certain amount and then went to different districts and offered to do advertisements of the district on their show. I don't think it's in the manga. It might be in the manga as an advertisement too, but it felt so disconnected from the rest of the show because, like what Chris was pointing out, this the beginning part of it was funny. And then the moment that Jocelyn gets this debt that she has to pay off, she runs off, and it turns into a tourist season. And then once they stopped doing the tourist stuff, it got back into the good stuff. It introduced Ekute uh, and, and the vampires, and it's like, okay, this feels like this was the obvious next part following Lirie. Because, like, the beginning is Lirie. Lirie shows up. All the angels think that she's going to kill them. We get some, some funny jokes about the idea that she's basically took on the form of a child. And so she has these urges that a child would have. And people make fun of her because she's supposed to be Kame. Yet she badly wants to ride this stupid little toy on the corner of the street. And so Joshin is constantly trying to <laughs> take so it wrong. over. <laughs> and then the moment that she finally gets to ride the thing, Joshin looks at her like, you know, with this pathetic face. And she realizes she lost. <laughs> it's just so funny. But again... The moment that we've got all the punchlines out of Lirie, tourists. And then once the tourist stuff was gone, we introduce another character. It gets back into the formula that makes the series so great. So I can honestly say that I still suggest the series as a whole. I don't think it's amazing, and I don't tell people to go out of their way to watch it. But just keep in mind that my dislike for this segment was, I think, because it wasn't supposed to be there, and it was added there to make money um, and to probably make this project happen. Because it was a good... It's it's always kind of been pretty solid animation. I love the character designs. I so love the character designs. And I also like the fact that it still, despite it being a goofy comedy, the, the they keep on model, the visuals look good, and then the action scenes and stuff like that, very few, but they look good. Overall, the series has always looked good, and like I said, I love the, the designs of the characters themselves. So, yeah. Besides that advertisement segment, which is unfortunately a little bit too long for my liking... <laughs> It was still a solid season, and like I said, I loved the EA and I loved Akute, and I, I I kind of hope for another season just so we can get more of the vampires in the mix, because I think that's a fun little thing to add to it. But yes, obviously, the only advertisement in the season that I really loved <laughs> was for some reason there was a, there's some sort of crossover that was happening before the season came out between Jocelyn Chan, uh, the property, and Hatsune Miku. I think they did like some little project together, and so they decided to add Hatsumiku into every single episode as a random cameo at a certain random spot. Like in the first scene that we seen, I think it was the scene where Joshin needs a leak, so she jumps over this uh, fence and she sees Miku walking down the street, going that she got she bought this this onion, and so Joshin steals it away and gives her the money for it, and then runs off. Um, they're very brief scenes. I think the longest scene that we had was when Meg was collecting a bunch of cute things, and Miku's just randomly one of them. <laughs> And the, and the person from the company comes by and, and brings Miku home. Um, it was cute. I, I think they they perfectly pulled off Miku in this world. And since we don't get Hatsune Miku anime ever, um, that's enough reason to watch the show. It's because I just want to see Hatsune Miku. I love Hatsune Miku. So seeing her pop in there. I, like I said, I think they pulled off 
the different styles of Miku. This this moment she's delivering stuff. This moment she's just kind of a random entertainer at this one district. Um, they pulled off that different natures of Miku, but at the same time keeping her kind of innocent throughout the entire violentness of sometimes the comedy. Um, just like Joshin's like split in half, so Miku comes by and starts poking her. Um, it was cute. I loved it. So yeah, overall, I, I, I still love the series. I'm just extremely disappointed, and again, like probably because they wanted to pay the bills. Uh, disappointed in how jarring it became with the whole different location stuff. Um, but I still, I still enjoy it in the end. So yeah, Josh and Chan Dropkick X. Check that out. I, I think that the troubling thing is, I think I noted this early on was like, if anybody's like, hey, I want to check out Josh and where do I go to watch it? It's like. I think the first season's on Crunchyroll still, I think. The second season was on Amazon, because that was during the whole Amazon anime strike thing. Mm-hmm. And then now the third season's on Crunchyroll. So it's like, hey, good luck <laughs> good luck finding them, I guess. But yeah. Smile of the Arsenatoria, the animation of Wararu Arsenatoria Sun. This one's streamed on Crunchyroll and for 12 episodes done by Studio Leiden Films. It's based off a mobile game. Uh, character designs, of course, by Shinichiro Otsuku, Otsuka, who did Conception, ReZero, and Grand Belm, so it's very familiar style. Uh, director was Naoyuki uh, Tatsuwa, who did uh, Nisekoi. So. This one takes place in the magic ac- academic city of Ashram, where we have the existence of these girls known as pentagrams who are studying in different studies, general studies, um, etiquette, and, yes, magic. Um, and they're... Over time, you kind of learn that these girls are in this this city, which is sort of hidden away from the real world itself, which every now and then you'll get a brief shot of these guys known as the Knights who are going around trying to find where this hidden place is and destroying all the heretics, slaughtering everybody, all for the sake of trying to find out where these girls in this particular place is hidden away at because it seems like these girls are kind of enjoying their life and studying while... Um, the possibility eventually could come that they could be revealed to the world itself. So I think your thoughts, <laughs> I think <laughs> Taboon. Um, the sniff, sniff, sniffer girl, um, sim, goes sim, out sim. <laughs> and she does lots of cute things. And then warning, I, I think that Andrew's, uh, video kind of captured my, um, the way I feel about this show in general is there's an aspect of the show that I, I don't think needed to be there. It was annoying. I don't, I, I kind of wish it was not there. Um, it, it kind of just, it didn't fit. It really didn't. And I, it, it is kind of funny to, to look at Andrew's kind of cast list here. You got sniffer girl, you got the, I think she's a fighter, uh, but she's a, Basically a princess girl, and then you have the sleeper girl, then you have the other uh, princess, the the I want to be a princess girl, and then the Genki girl. And then down at the bottom, Andrew has a bunch of mean pretty boys, which is pretty much apt of this show, is you have the cute girls doing cute things, and that works generally as because it's not that they were doing anything spectacular. They're just cute girls doing cute things. And you have, uh, Tama who's doing a lot of sniff, sniff, sniffing. Um, they go out and they find, uh, little, uh, birds. They bring the birds back to the nest and they do all these silly things that cute girls doing cute things work. It does normally. And then suddenly you have this warning scene and, and it's not like it's, 
I don't want to over exaggerate this. It's just that because it's 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 usually a thirty second to a minute long uh, things. Some of the longer ones were probably my, maybe five minutes worth of the the episode, but they were just so jarring and they did not fit in the show in general. Um, so that's pretty much where I stand. I think it's cute, does fine as a cute girls doing cute things. I love the artwork of you the do? girls. Huh? You do? I think it did fine. As a cute girls doing cute yeah. things, that section of it was fine. Mm. The pretty boys getting involved in all that was annoying. I didn't I didn't like that. I wish it wasn't there. So that's where I am. I'm kind of neutral on it as as in general, if that's what you're asking. I, I don't think it was a great one, but it was fine. It, I, I thought the girls' artwork was fine, or it looked great, and I... Love it for that. I love the voice acting. I think they did great. Um, but I was very, very bothered by the warning sections. Yeah, that was the, the question I was going to get to you when you were first starting your explanation. Is I, I was thinking, okay, well, if you thought if, – if if your problem was the whole um, night side of the story, because obviously this is two different stories, two parallel stories that you assume eventually will converge because these guys are – evil uh destroying everything and they're seeking to find the cute girls that are hiding away at the academy trying to train for the inevitable point in which they'll meet um but my thought process there is okay so if you think if all these all the night section was removed from the show itself would you still think it's a solid cute girls doing cute things i don't agree i don't even with those gone which i think is super i don't think it's jarring it's just i think it's unfulfilled it's constantly there. It's a looming threat, and there's a lot of people that watch this show hoping that one moment they'll finally ver- merge. And I know that it's sort of spoiler to say this, but I want to say it because I don't want people to have the wrong impression here. I've seen a lot of people that were bored watching the show only watching it because they were wondering if they'll merge, and they don't. And I think that's a good thing to point to people. Don't expect that. Don't come in here and expect that and continue to watch the show wanting to see that moment because it's not going to happen. They mention at some point that they've fought before. Never seen it. Um, I, I, I kind of made the argument in my uh, video on this is that it almost feels as if this is essentially the mobile game, but with all the fight scenes taken out of it, um, and essentially just the character interaction scenes. If anybody has ever played a, um, especially anime or Japan-based video games, JRPGs, they, they have these um, kind of encounter moments or character bonding moments of scenes where essentially it's just two characters talking to each other about themselves. And it's kind of disconnected from the overall story because they're optional. So you're playing the game. You're getting the full grasp of the story. Characters are going through crazy stuff. Battles are happening. Uh, the world building's happening. And then every now and then you'll have like this little icon that says, oh, by the way, you can have a character moment. And then you select it and suddenly it's just kind of this self-encompassed story. It just feels completely disconnected from what you would think is the overall plot. And thus, I think the thing that it come down to is that, yes, there's the disappointment that nothing ever converges there. And yes, it feels like they're kind of technically telling the overall story through the evil slaughtering guys. But all the, the, the main crux of the problem that I have with the series is I can forgive all that if the actual moments of the girls was fun interesting something <laughs> and it feels like 
This is like the worst example of a cute girls doing cute things that I can ever think of. When I think cute girls doing cute things that do it right, I think Izzy Order Rabbit, even Nun and Biori, though that's more slice of life as well. Um, Three Leaves to Colors, something that is actually entertaining. This isn't. I, I make the argument this is this is cute girls doing world building, and the world building is extremely boring because their interactions is toy is most of the time trying to tell a mechanic or an aspect of the world itself, and and it's boring because I don't want to. It's not interesting, and plus, it never does anything because you don't get into the world. You don't get into the mechanics of the world. You're just talking about it. it honestly, in the end, this is for the mobile game players through and through. I believe this is legit just for the mobile game players because this doesn't make me want to play the game. And I think, again, that this feels like it's mostly just encounters with the characters disconnected from the story itself. So I feel like it's one of those things where you'll play the mobile game and you're like, ah, I want to see my characters do something. So they go over there and they watch the show. It doesn't feel like it's selling me on the, the, the game of, of the story of the game. It doesn't, tell me, it doesn't seem like it's telling me enough that I would be interested in the story of the game. It just feels like Bond encounters from a video game with no real substance or good writing there. I, again, I think that, yes, the characters are cute. And I love uh, this this character designer. The Otsuka is an incredible character designer. I love all of their character designs. ReZero, Grand Belm, even Grand Belm, even though I didn't like Grand Belm, I love the character designs. Uh, even Conception, I love the character designs. And these characters look fantastic. They all look unique. They have a great style about them. I love the character designs. And yes, they, the animation they did really well on it. Leading Films did an incredible job. It's just they're boring. <laughs> like the encounters are boring. I don't need to sit through a 10-minute spiel about how if they use this jam from this jar, it's going to be really delicious, and then they have to all try to open the jar, and then when they finally open the jar, they realize, oh, man, yeah, the jam's good. It's just, it's boring. Or an entire episode about how Ars Notoria's sniffer's not working, because we all, we all know that she's all about sniffing things, and then finally her sniffer breaks. So we have this huge, long episode about Ars Notoria figuring out what's wrong with her sniffer. And then it gets into this whole thing where everybody's trying to find something to mess with her sniffer, so they all give the, gather the stuff together, and then she goes through to sniff everything, and everybody's going, oh my gosh, that stinks, and she's sniffing at it, and she can't get nothing out of it, so finally she sniffs a bunch, and then she, at some point they realize what the cat said earlier was exactly what she needed to fix her sniffer. She just needed to have some pillow fight. I don't know. <laughs> it's stupid. Like it, it, It's, it's not cute fun. girls doing cute things. <laughs> cute girls doing cute things still needs to have substance. You still no, need I'm to not have... gonna. I'm not gonna argue against what your 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 yes, main by point. The logic of just the words "cute girls doing cute things" is technically <laughs> here, but I would even argue there's a there's like ninety percent of it's not technically like cute. It's just dumb and it's just plain. It's existence. It's it's cute girls being existing. That's <laughs> the, that's the apt argument. It's cute girls existing. It's not cute girls doing cute things. It's existing. Um, it's just it's it's. Again, I think this is like the bare minimums you would want in a cute girls and cute things. There's so many better cute, and, and that's, that's the thing is I don't want to mislabel this as that because if somebody doesn't know what cute girls cute girls is, I can't. I is becoming a tongue twister in my mouth. Um, this is one of those examples that I don't want to, people to have. When somebody goes, "What is this cute girls doing cute things thing that people keep talking about?" and they think, "Okay, well I'm going to watch our tutorial and see what this is all about," don't. 
Don't use this as an example. Use something like, again, Izzy Order Rabbit or something like that. One that does it well. One that has great character moments, great moments, great writing, has like, you know, a formula to what they do with each scene that gives you a punchline. This doesn't have that. So, anyways, it's soulless, I guess. Anyways. <laughs> it's, cute, it's, it's it's one of those things it's like i i'm, I'm not arguing against you i i i, I th- you're right in in general but it's, right. it's 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 not it's not that the, the the problem is is i i'm not i'm not completely and totally offended by the show i i'm fine with i i think like i said the the artwork and the 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 uh seiyus did great on this show but it's not I, I'm not going to go and 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 say and announce this as the greatest cute girls doing cute things show in the world. It, it's it is what it is. I I found myself enjoying myself watching the show, except for the pretty boys. Um, but in general, I enjoyed the show. It, is it on the same level as as is the Order Rabbit? Hell no. But it's still a cute girls, and I I enjoyed myself watching it. You just like Arch Notoria because of her say. Yes, the only I love. The, I love this. Don't girl. let that sway you. I like, love you're like, Tama. You're letting that influence yourself. <laughs> if it was voiced, if if Arch Notoria was voiced by Kendra Suda, you would have hated everything about the show. Oh, you wouldn't have. That would have been. I would enjoy it though. I, I, that would have been a very very <laughs> odd experience watching that soon, one. Soon, 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 <laughs> soon, soon, sniff, sniff. Um, um, what was I thinking? I was I was thinking something else that I completely lost it. Oh, there was one good episode. Like, and this is what frustrates me because the the fact the that trading Prime episode. <laughs> I don't know if that's the same episode, but there's the separation that happens with this outside world and the this hidden away world. There was finally a brief moment where, like, the world building and the characters exploring something was great. And that was when they finally went to go buy something in yep, the real the world. Trading episode. It was such a good episode because it established world. It established mechanics. It put them out there. They, they, they had fun trying to cover up what they were doing. And you got a little bit of goofiness of each one of the characters. It was It was perfect. This is what was – how you ma- do good writing to in- encapsulate the world with the characters. And it was such a brief moment. <laughs> like it was a finally – like I was locked. Like I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. Finally, this is doing something cool. And then right back into dream world and nothing matters after that point. Back to sniffers broken. Anyways, moving on. Also chasing down the bug was fun too. Uh, the quote-unquote bug. Um, anyway, smile to the Narcentoria there. Warning, 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 watch it. Um, Harem in the Labyrinth of Another World, or Isekai Mikyo de Harem Wo. This one, um, streamed on, uh, different sites. Just go find it. I'm not gonna say where, Crunchyroll had a version of it, but there you go. 12 episodes it's streaming for. Uh, studio is Passione, sources light novel, genres are action, adventure, fantasy, ecchi, romance, Director is Naoyuki uh, Tatsuwa, who did Nisekoi. So it's two shows this season they were working on. But yeah, this this one follows a dude that's like messing around on his computer, probably looking at uh, inappropriate websites. And at some point he gets a prompt saying, uh, you can't turn back. If you continue, there's no turning back. And he's like, gosh, I hate pop-ups. And he clicks the button, accepts it. That's not how it went. But he, uh, he was basically a pop-up that said you can't turn back. And he clicks it. Um, there's apparently st- reasons why he was on that computer that I've been told, but the, the show doesn't tell you. So I'm going to go with what the show tells me. Uh, he tr- transports his other world where he wakes up in this barn in some random out of the sticks 
out in the open area village. And he wakes up. He finds all this, you know, starter equipment that came with him in this new world. He grabs all that equipment. And then he leaves the barn to find the village being attacked by bandits. He ends up deciding to join in and take him out. The village thanks him for it. Uh, gives him one of the guys that they capture to take back to the major town so that he can get some reward for it. Um, once he gets there, he finds out there is apparently in this world uh, forced servitude trade. I'm going to say forced servitude for YouTube's purposes. You guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, forced servitude trade, but namely what they kind of point out is with benefits. Um, <laughs> I'll just say that with benefits. <laughs> They'll do what you want to do. And, yeah, so after a while, he kind of says, you know, I'm going to go check out this place. So he goes to the, the, the trader, and it's Alan. Alan kind of sits him down and brings in this this lady to serve him some tea, and it's Roxanne. It's one of these girls that he could buy, and he quickly, like, Michio is, like, set destination for my quest to obtain this girl because she's super hot. And she's a beast folk, so she's got the cute little puppy ears. And so obviously you want it. Um, so yeah, he sets it as goal. Alan's like, you know, I'm going to cut you a deal, but I can only, you know, I can only hold her for so long. I'm going to hold her for this time, but if you, so you got to get the money by that time. So Michi goes out basically trying to figure out what's the best way to make money. So he's kind of going through all the options, goes to the labyrinth that they have in this world, trying to make money that way. Eventually it comes down to a point where he does soft spoiler here, buys Roxanne. Um, Roxanne kind of becomes almost his rock in this world because obviously it, it seems like things weren't great in his previous life. But now in this new life, he has Roxanne with him. Um, she kind of does whatever he wants to do. She's willing kind of thing. Um, she kind of helps guide him things that he doesn't know. She kind of helps him with it. He's messing with different skills and abilities in this world itself, exploring options, uh, experimenting with things in the labyrinth, all while coming home and um, doing stuff with Roxanne. You know those things. So, what, what's 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 your thoughts on the anime? <laughs> um, not harem in a labyrinth in another world. Um, I love it. Um, I love the characters. I love the. I think it looked very good. Um, I kind of still am a little frustrated with the artwork change, but it comes down to it. I love it. You don't um, like super thick Roxanne? No. <laughs> uh, well, I don't. I don't hate her. I just. It's not Didn't your like Roxanne. Yeah, it's not my Roxanne. Um, no, it, it looked it looks good. I love the the I, I love the pacing. I thought that they did pretty good at um, speeding things up and getting it to, getting to the points in a lot of cases. Um, and I, I it's one of those that I really, really, really wish I we we had more. I I I'm at the point where I it's it's. I love seeing it in, uh, in on a screen, seeing things moving, uh, getting the story for, in this 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 way. Consuming the story in this way is is absolutely great. Um, I stole all of the all the the episodes from Andrew, and I've saved them on my fol- on a folder in my computer, and I will be keeping them forever. Hopefully, I will be getting a Blu-ray at some point, which probably is never going to happen. But I'm I, I I'm holding out hope. Um, yeah, love it. Love love the this adaptation of it, and I'm very, very happy. Chris did very well. <laughs> I made fun of him during our first impression because he literally just talks about the light novel, and I'm like, so the anime. <laughs> and so he did very well. He obviously took my criticism very well. 
Um, that that is a struggle, honestly, and I I, I do feel for Chris in that regard because it sometimes when you read the source material first and all you really want to talk about is what's kind of changed or not changed, and it's like, well, there people are technically looking for a source, uh, not a source material review; they're looking for a adaptation review. Um, me, from the perspective of somebody that has not read the source material, um, I, I, I there's parts in it that I do not like, and I in the end I'm a little bit frustrated with how not harem in a labyrinth of another world it is and i know that that's the point the harem in a labyrinth of another world light novel and manga probably too is not trying to rush to get the harem together it's slowly building into it um so the idea is that it's harem in a labyrinth of another world eventually but for now he's got to build the harem and it's taking its is taking his dear sweet time that's for sure um I, honestly early on i was kind of hooked in this this show and i think it was really because it did a good job of introducing michio into this world showing the mechanics of the world um quickly throwing him into the conundrum of taking out bandits realizing very quickly i technically took lives um and getting in and definitely the way that they portrayed it the second time he fought the bandits was like extremely unsettling and I think that was a core reason why early on I really enjoyed the show because it wasn't really hiding anything. It wasn't holding anything back. Because it was a late night airing show, um, it did have some daytime airings, which were fully censored. But the late night airing show, it didn't hold anything back. It was it was kind of unsettling, viol- unsettlingly violent. And yes, technically, when it got to the point where he does, you know, get the girl, it he's not a dither character. He's like, let's do it. <laughs> like, let's let's get upstairs. Let's go. Um, and I do appreciate that. It, it feels much more mature. It's not trying to have the character go, oh my gosh, oh no, there's two big round things in front of me. I, oh, I'll pass out or something. Um, like Vermil or something. <laughs> it, he dies into it. He literally goes after it. And yes, despite the fact that it, how he gets the girls makes you raise an eyebrow, they're technically willing. So it's, it's it kind of okays in that way. But you also see it based... They technically do signify the fact that Roxanne's, Roxanne's okay with him because she wags her tail. She m- mentions at some point, it, I can't really control my tail. It just kind of wags whenever I'm happy or whatever. It's kind of signification that she's technically okay with him. And she does appreciate being with Michio. Um, so it's kind of like this this aspect exists in this world. He He can't change that aspect. People are going to trade these people. But he's technically, yes, partaking in it, but at the same time allowing them to have a seemingly uh good existence uh, a respectful existence so now my problem i enjoyed the experimentation of his abilities i enjoyed um roxanne i enjoyed yes the naughty scenes but the other aspect of it was i didn't even though it was exploring the mechanics of this world very he's able to see prompts and mechanics and skills and jobs the world itself is sort of like a bunch of NPCs. They just accept the rules in the world itself. They can't see what he can see. So when, you know, for example, when Roxanne is doing, when they're trying to get, he's trying to get a healing ability. So he's like, I need to get a monk job or whatever. So he's got to figure out how to get the monk job. And he tries to ask Roxanne, she's like, well, monks get that. I mean, you become a monk. You don't just change jobs. It doesn't make sense in her mind in the world itself. But Michio can see it, and so thus he can experiment to get the job and thus have healing abilities. And that shocks Roxanne because, again, in this world, you become a monk. In this world, you become a blacksmith. You don't just change jobs. You don't see what you have. Um, So seeing that kind of stuff, exploration of that stuff was interesting. 
problem I had is that it didn't really explain, especially early on, what exactly Michio can do. <laughs> I think I had to have Chris kind of, uh, yes, technically, I think at some point Chris mentioned it a long time ago when he was reading it, um, that yes, he can change jobs. And it doesn't really technically explain that in the actual show. It's at some point he looks at his skills and he goes, okay, this. Okay, so he can change it. Okay, I guess that wasn't explained. Um, so I, I think there are certain points where it doesn't explain it well enough. Um, yes, technically there's some parts of it that was translated wrong. Um, there was an adventure thing that they translated. <laughs> yeah, hero that, thing. That was a big thing for me. I, 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 I'm I, I, watching Bad Andrew's video. I was like, wait, 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 wait. No, it is not adventure. It is hero. <laughs> the comments were crazy on that video for Crunchyroll. <laughs> Everybody's like, just not what they said. Uh, those, those fans of Hiram <laughs> and Labyrinth and Otherworld were angry. Um, but no, it's... The problem that I had, the biggest sin that this show has, if you could say sin, because technically what's the, the context of this show, uh, the biggest problem this show has that the chemistry sucks. Uh, very quickly, after he gets Roxanne, you have these little moments together. Um, I loved seeing them out in the labyrinth and stuff. But very quickly, after a while, I got really bored. Like the, the, the chemistry between Michio and Roxanne is just not there. She's going to basically do whatever he wants. He's very subservient to him. Every now and then he allows her to kind of make decisions on her own or speak out on situations. Like with Alan, she spoke out that she wanted to help Alan, and he accepted it despite the fact that she shouldn't speak out. There's a chemistry there of the subservient and technically the master and the chemistry there of him trying to get into her head that, you know, don't sit on the ground. Sit next to me. You don't have to do what is expected of you as a, 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 a you know, a, for a servitude person. But then after a while, like I said, it just, it's, their, their chemistry is not there. Like they, they two together do not talk in a way that is fun or interesting or has any chemistry whatsoever. It's just her kind of following him around and he's experimenting with stuff. That's where like, again, halfway through the show, uh, maybe a little bit before halfway point, I just got bored of them as a duo. And I'm going at that point was me going, where's the harem? Like we need something injected in the show. Like there needs to be chemistry injected into this party because I'm bored. The only enjoyment I'm getting out of the show at that point was seeing what he experiments with and seeing if he figures something cool out. The, the two of them, not interesting, not fun, not entertaining. I needed a new character to add it. And so like I was constantly going, When's the next character? We need a new character. And the moment that they add the next character to the chemistry, I was like, there. That's what we needed. <laughs> we finally have chemistry in this show. And it's suddenly, suddenly just outside of the, the mechanics of the world, suddenly just the character interactions are fun and interesting and have dynamic. And so it sucks that that didn't happen until like legit like the 11th episode. Because suddenly I'm going, okay, now I'm finally enjoying the show again. And, and it, that, that was one of those things that I, I had kind of, when we were, me and some other folks were talking off to the side, and I, I pointed out the fact that Sherry literally is kind of the counter to Roxanne. Roxanne is the character who goes, ooh, Sugoi, 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 and Sherry's like, uh, no, you you can't do that. That's that's not possible. So she's she's literally the counter of Roxanne. Um, yes, she's still in the subservient, uh, aspect, but she is still, um, one of those that is kind of the counter. She is the straight man for a lack of a better term. And I, and she is very, very, a, a massive ad addition to the, the group. I will say, um, in closing, uh, the cat girl didn't show up until the very end. And so thus one out of 10. 
There you go. Any closing thoughts? I love it. There you go. Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, we still have two, I think, two OVAs. Didn't they say the Blue Rover was going to have two OVAs? I have OVAs? no idea. You're following that. Um, I, I didn't see that. You Wait. Okay. Hold on. <clears throat> Let's take a moment here. Chris, are you telling me Andrew is more informed on when we're going to get more Harriman Land with Another World content and you're not on top of this? You're hovering news networks and I'm not. I didn't get it from there. Okay. But you should know Twitter? everything about the series. You're, you're following Twitter? I didn't. I, I don't know where you've seen this. I, and you're I, legit. I'm, watch, even, you're reading the light novel. You should know everything about. I don't. I'm not hovering the light novel. I'm not hovering the source material. I'm not hovering all the chats and the stuff about it. I, wait, Jeez, Chris. Then you don't know this, and you just Chris. randomly are showing up and saying this, and I don't I, know where you've seen this. I am surprised. I am very surprised, Chris. Um, I I no longer see Chris as the fan of Harem and Lameth in another world that I originally there you thought. Go. There you go. I thought he was a diehard. Um, it must be the whole Roxanne thing. He's still not over the fact that they made her super thick. <laughs> <laughs> we were saying that when the first of the key art was like, dang, she thick. And Chris is like, that, that's got to be, I don't know, maybe it's just a side of her. Like, no, Chris, in the trailer, she's super thick. <laughs> like, they made her super thick. Uh, anyways, my, my stepmom's Who daughter. Who is this? This is not my Roxanne. This is not my Roxanne. Not my Roxanne. That's the billboard. Uh, my stepmom's daughter is my ex. The next one. Mama haha no sure go ga matokana date. Data. This one is streamed on Crunchyroll for 12 episodes. Done by Project Number 9. Sources light novel. Genres are comedy and romance. Director is Shinsuke Yanagi, who did 3P, Angel 3P, uh, Never Grow Online, and, Ryo, uh, and Ryo's work is never done. And the series composition by Hitomi Mueno, who did Snow White with Red Hair, Flying Witch, and many other. So, this one. Did you watch this one, by the way? Nope. Never Man. went back. Probably should have. It was one that I kind of wanted to go back to, but, you know. I, it's it's kind of one of those ones where I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I suggest it or not. We'll get into that. Uh, essentially, the gist of the beginnings of this story is that we find out uh, very quickly that uh, around middle school, these two students, Mizuto and Yume, had gotten a relationship. They met each other in a, uh, a library. They quickly hit it off. The two of them started dating each other. And over time, they you know grew, grew closer and closer and closer. And then at some point, they had a falling out. They they, they stated some, something about things compounded, and eventually they kind of broke up. So... Jump forward, I think it was two years, uh, they find themselves sitting in front of each other at a table, and their parents have decided that they are going to marry. And so the two of them, their parents don't know about this, the two of them, now ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, are now having to become siblings. So they have to learn to kind of live with each other, because they don't want to ruin the relationship their parents have, they want their parents to be happy, they have made a pact with each other, we're not going to mention that we were in a relationship, we're going to act like perfect siblings, don't have arguments or anything, like you know, siblings actually have, <laughs> I got to kick out that early on. They're, they're talking about how they, they need to act like they coexist and that will prove their parents that they are, you know, and you know, they're siblings. And it's like, no, you arguing and fighting each other will show them that you are siblings because that's what siblings do. <laughs> but anyways, it, so it's kind of a, an interesting twist to your typical siscon bro con thing. And the idea that typically with those types of stories, it's, you know, mom showed up 10 years ago with this random girl and we've been siblings ever since then, but then suddenly doki doki each other, uh, which kind of makes it a little more creepy. This is, they've been in a relationship before for a long time and now suddenly they have to act like siblings. So it's, it, it, it makes it feel a little differently, but yeah. So you basically have them constantly bickering at each other. 
Uh, they go to the school together, um, kind of find out Yume transfers to the school that he's at, and they go to school, the same school together. And over time, you kind of see that Yume has been trying to change her appearance. He was a bookworm before, nerdy glasses, braided hair. Now she's trying to be, you know, she's changed her appearance to look more attractive. She's trying to be an, you know, more outgoing. And so you have the struggles of her, you know, meeting people and, you know, trying to be more athletic, which she can't be. <laughs> you, uh, Mizuto, on the other hand, he's kind of just being his usual self. He's always a bookworm. He's always got his face in a book. Um, very seemingly emotionless, just kind of going about his days, not wanting to be bothered. Um, over time, the two of them, you kind of see that they still have feelings with each other. Uh, we ended up introducing uh, best girl, Higashira, who ends up becoming a friend of Mizuto. A little bit of jealousy there. Um, and then later on, we end up uh, getting into their kind of backstory as we get into more about Mizuto's, the rest of Mizuto's family. And Yume learns more about him. So, yeah. Um, so starting out, this this show early on, I wasn't impressed. It was kind of just bickering back and forth between the two of them, just D- just dumb Siscom Brocon arguing back and forth, very soon dead to each other, every now and then getting a glimpse about how they s- still like each other. Um, then we kind of jump into the <laughs> Akatsuki Minami arc, which is this girl that befriends Yume, and she feels that she needs to marry Mizuto in order for her to be with Yume for the rest of her life, because she's madly in love with Yume. Um, that was dumb. And then we get into the... <laughs> Because you always marry somebody's sibling in order to be with them for the rest of their lives. That's not how that works. Um, <laughs> then we get into the Higashira arc, which I think was by far the best part of this entire series. Just watch that part and then watch nothing else. Higashira is absolutely fantastic. I loved her character. She's goofy. She's a little bit too vocal about things that she shouldn't be vocal about. Um, to give you an example, at some point... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say it. I don't think it'd be proper to say it. She said something very inappropriate because she's been seen as uh, – or it was basically her saying the only other time that I didn't want to be a girl so much was the time that I had my first um, first moment, you know, that girls have. But anyways, uh, she's great because she's too vocal about things. She's a little bit too forward about things. At the same time, she's super klutzy and she's kind of oblivious about certain things. And it gets in this whole arc about, okay, well, let's hook him up, her up with Mizuto because obviously – she seems like him. I will admit it doesn't make any sense why people were helping her hook up with Mizuto, but that whole arc was fantastic, and I loved her to death. And then we get into the later part, which that really feel the later the last arc is really where we see all the development. It's it's I made an argument that it feels like it's a little bit too too much too late. I mean, the idea that for the most of the heart, the entire series, I've never really understood Mizuto. I never really understood Yume. Yume is like super overly obsessed with Mizuto, like super kind of creepy obsessed with him. At the same time, Mizuto just seems like a blank slate. Like it doesn't seem like he responds to anything properly. He's just a blank dude. Again, we get a little backstory, which I thought was really dumb. I hate the backstory stuff. Um, But when we really get into the moment later on in the series, that's where everything really takes off. We finally understand how why Mizuto is the way he is. We finally understand why they want the parents to get together so much. We finally see growth in Yume. And I thought it was all really good. Like, I was I was actually impressed by how things build up at the last part of it. But then it just, it's, it's done. Like, that's the show, the show has ended. Like, we finally see, we see what makes them tick. We see character growth. We see the ultimate build up to them as pretty much siblings, so to speak. And then it's done. 
So again, like it's like, it feels like I finally understand the characters and it's done. And so that's the big, the big letdown is like we wasted all this time doing the dumb Siscon Brocon stuff, doing this dumb girl that wants to marry Mizuto, uh, best arc Higashira, and then finally understand characters. So that's that's my that's my conundrum is that it, on one hand it feels like this this series the tone and the characters themselves are so all over, all over the place, and then on the other hand I feel like it's it's overall plot line is good and I respect it for what it did, but it again is way too late in the show. Like we're talking like right at the end of it, and so you're it's a hard sell. Because what are you gonna? I can't. I don't. I don't. I can't say I'd sell somebody on this if they're looking for you know Syscon Brocon stuff. Because I don't think it's good. Like the Syscon Brocon aspect, I don't think is good. Um, like the fetishizing of it is in particular. This isn't like an Orimo. This isn't like a. Um, <laughs> recently, my sister's unusual. This isn't a, a fetishizing of the Syscon Brocon thing. It just doesn't do it very well. It's there, but it's not. Doesn't do it very well. A romantic comedy. Yeah, around the Akatsuki stuff and the Higashira stuff, yeah, sure. But heartfelt romance slash Siscon Brocon stuff is too late in the show. Do I suggest to people to go all this journey to get to it? So it feels like this this entire series is just all over the place. And so I don't really know where to peg it. In the end, was I satisfied? Yes. Can I suggest it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it really just comes down to if any of that sounds interesting to you, give it a shot. It's just, are you willing to sit through the journey to get to it is the big question mark. And I, do, I don't suggest it in that respect because I would say half the show is a wash. It's, it's a waste of time. It's just this other half of the show was excellent, which is Higashira and the ending. That's the only good parts of this entire series, in my opinion. So there you go. Really good. I love the character designs. Um, I've mentioned before, I don't think it's the same character artist as uh, Higahiro which I really love the character designs. Um, and it feels like Yume is straight out of Higahiro. It's the same studio, so I'm guessing they kind of just adopt the style over. I do like the character designs. Um, but, yeah. Did that make any sense? Did I get did I get across anything with that? Because I feel like I was all over the place. Yeah, three arcs. One was a waste, <laughs> one was good, and the other one was way too late. There you go. There you go. No, it wasn't... The, the the good part was it was excellent because it's Higashira. Higashira. So, but yes, you got it, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> my stepmom taught her as my ex. Um, there you go. And our last one is the Yakuza's Guide to Babysitting or Kumisho Musume to Sewa Gakkari. This one is streaming on Crunchyroll for 12 episodes, done by Studio Feel and Gaina. Uh, I don't know if it's Gaina or Gaina. Um, the source is a manga. The comedies, uh, the genres are comedy, slice of life, and the director is Itsuro Kawasuka, uh, Kawasaka, Kawasaki, who did "Listen to Me, Girls, I'm Your Father," "Be the Beginning," "Magical Go Ore," and series composition by Kishiro Uchi, who did "Quintessential Quintuplets," "Hina Matsuri," "Demon Girl Next Door," and this one opens up uh, basically the Sakuragi family, which is a basically a yakuza group. Uh, the Sakuragi family has the head, which is Kazuhiko, and at some point, Kazuhiko has a problem. This head of this family has a problem. He's got a henchman named Toro Kirishima who is extremely violent. <laughs> this dude uh, gets kind of gets set off set off really easily, and he will completely decimate an entire uh, opposing family. Um, we kind of open up seeing him being the living snot out of people in a random building. 
And so he's got to kind of get this guy settled down. Like, he needs to chill out. So in order to help him, uh, he's going to assign him to be the bodyguard of his daughter, Yaika. Now, Yaika's been away for a while. You find out really quickly that uh, Yaika's mother or his his wife uh, got in some sort of accident. She's been in a coma. And so now uh, Yaika's been with his stepsister for a while. But now she's going to start living with them at this, you know, their, 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 their house. And so he needs somebody to protect her because obviously having a little girl in a Yakuza house is kind of dangerous. So he's assigning her a bodyguard, which is Toro Kishima. So, yeah, Kishima's got to learn how to settle down. And so he's kind of being grounded by having to take care of this cute, innocent little girl. Because we all know when we want our violent henchmen to settle down, we tell them to protect our innocent, defenseless daughter. You'll find out. It makes sense later on. I think early on I was like, why? What? I would not let this guy anywhere near my daughter. But you find out why later on. So, yes. Um Kishima is now taking care of uh, Yaika, taking her to school, um, fighting off henchmen that are mostly just looking to get revenge against Kirishima. They're never necessarily after uh, Yaika, <laughs> but uh, covering up the fact that he's doing violent things, um, def- protecting her innocent eyes. And uh, yeah, your, your thoughts. I absolutely love the show. I am, this is easily one of my favorites of the season. Um, I, I came into this, um, of course, you know, I I loved the contrast between Kirishima and and Yaika, and and actually seeing it in it play out was really fantastic. I I I was scared of the idea of how dark that this had the potential of going, um, but luckily they were respectful in 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 that that aspect. They the 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 parts that were dark were not so dark that you go okay this is this is probably a bit much that no they were respectful they said this is something that is kind of a a leftover of uh kirishima's past and and it was respectful of not actually try tainting the the um the heartwarming story that they were they're trying to portray here which i think is really where this show shines there is an episode or two in here where uh, me and Andrew have both both went, yeah. That I I don't I don't know why it was there. I get the joke. The the YouTubers, yes, the YouTuber part was not that great. <laughs> what was the other episode for you? I think it was just the YouTube that one's one that the I didn't like. that one's the one that stands out the most. I there may there there might have been one or two other ones, but that you can one you can combine that... all the scenes with the cologne guy into one episode, and yes, that would be the other part that I think was an absolute waste. I mean, it was it made sense later on why he was there, but it was just like every episode we have to see that he's looking at a picture of Kishima and spraying stuff on himself. Yeah, he was in. He was very annoying. It's, it's he was one, he was the knights of Arsnatoria, like constantly. Here's the looming threat. <laughs> Something's evil. Like all you have to do is put warning before his scenes, and it's legit the same thing. It, it, it's one of those things that I, even even with that, it, it I I still walked away from this very much happy with what I got out of this. It was the 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 odd couple kind of uh, coming together and and. Uh, Toru uh, basically calming down and and Yaika coming out of her shell and it, the the this calming let, down he literally just flipped a switch <laughs> it wasn't that bad um, <laughs> it it was one of those that when all all said and done it, 
at the end of this show, I came away with some really fantastic, just um, massive drama points. I mean, there even tw- one or two of them definitely drew, drew some tears out of my eyes. They were just such heartwarming moments, and I really was very happy with this show. I was I went into it expecting kind of a cutesy comedy. Um, uh, uh, just with this kind of Yakuza, uh, lolly, um, contrast, uh, comedy all the way through. And in, in, when I came away, I got some really great drama beats, uh, through a lot of this show. So yeah, very happy with what I got at in the end. I was surprised there's like three guys that are blonde, long hairs. Like, what is the blonde, long hair thing? <laughs> there's like three, there's legit three characters that have long blonde hair. <laughs> but no, I, I think, I think my whole, my only issue with the show overall is that I feel like Karishima, it, coming into it, you, 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 the opening is this dude's extremely violent and he's trying to chill him out. And it feels like it's a switch. Like suddenly, oh yes, it's Yaika. Oh, Yaika. All right, let's go. Let's have fun together. It's like he's never violent again. Like it's legit night and day. He's fixed. He Yaika is presented like like the dad takes Yaika, plops her down in front of him, and it's like a, it's a curing spell, and he's done. He's good. And then later on, when it finally starts to go, okay, let's bring him back in the dark world. It's like legit. Some dude just says, "Do better." Boom! Snap! Light switch. He's better again. Like it, it feels like the whole concept of chill this dude out isn't really there like it's that wasn't what the story is the story is pretty much the importance of like family like this this yakuza the the sakuragi family is family and i think they pulled out that that really well it's just you're introducing yaika into that family is is really what it is getting into yaika's whole issue with her mother getting into each one of the members getting into past members of the sakuragi family which i thought was even some of the better stories of this entire thing. I love how what this does is essentially every episode is family moments. It is, they're not blood related. All these people are not blood related. No, Yaika is blood related to Sakuragi. I hope so. <laughs> I hope it's their blood related. Um, she takes to her mother. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> they each have like their moment. And I like how they portray each one of those moments. And again, even the ones that are outside of the family currently, have their moments. It is about family, and it's in the importance of family. And I think that was the ultimate message to Kirishima. And it is, yes, technically a message to Yaika that she's rediscovering, but it is about family and the importance of family. And I think that's the overall what technically grounds Kirishima, in a sense, is the importance of that. It's not about getting out there and getting revenge for the family. It's not about getting in there and just getting your, your hands dirty. It's about what is important and protecting those that are around you and realizing what's important around you and those moments that you can experience. And I think it did that really well. I think Studio Phil did an excellent job of portraying each of these scenes, getting the music in there at the right time, getting the overly huge googly yika eyes out there so that everybody goes, oh my gosh, she's crying, I gotta cry too. Um, it pulls those, it, those scenes off really well. Um, and so I think overall, in the end, I think the other aspect that I like is it mainly about not yika. And I think in return for her essentially, quote-unquote, grounding Kirishima, which I think was very simple, he's, in effect, in return, giving her the push that she needs to open herself up. She's very timid at the very beginning. She's not able to speak out when she needs to speak out. 
and he's Kirishima's always kind of there to say because he's a big gruffy guy he doesn't understand that fear that she has she's just kind of like you know you can do it you want to show your dad something go do it what if he doesn't like it what if he gets angry at me you can do it he's not going to be angry at you go do it he he's he's the one that gives her that little push that she needs because obviously her not having her mother there anymore she's kind of lost a huge part of her life um so i i do like how they portray that as well that he's always kind of there as the the big papa bear to sort of uh, give her the push that she needs to have. So, yeah, I, I think it's really heartwarming. Had a lot of really fantastic scenes in it. Um, very well portrayed. Again, I just think my only my only issue really is that Kirishima doesn't really... Yes, the later segment is really Kirishima. It's getting into his past. It's getting into what drives him. It's getting into his violence. But I think the transitions with Kirishima... It, it, it felt a little bit too easy both ways. So that was that was the only kind of struggle that I had throughout the entire series, which I think was really well portrayed. And um, I enjoyed it. So if, I think if you're looking for a... And I think to to credit to the idea of the fears around the series coming into it is, my gosh, this is going to be super violent. Like, this is cute girl. I, I want a kind of bunny drop type of story. You know, a parental figure, young child kind of story. A sweetness and lightning kind of story. I think it fits more into that because they kept the transition from violence to not violence and the moments of violence to a minimum, the focus then can focus in on the family. So I think overall what I love about the show is that it essentially is a bunny drop. It is a sweetness and lightnings. It is a parental figure to child story um, but with the the setting of a Yakuza family, which I do really like. I, I do like the idea of these kind of bonds through honor type of stories i love the yakuza type stories and this one while not like every episode is go out and beat the the legs out from underneath the guy that didn't pay enough to protect his house it does enough to establish that they are yakuza family but at the same time never get too violent with it it is its focus is the heartwarming nature of family so i think i've i think i say that right this is like the last couple shows i'm like i don't know if i'm portraying this right but anyways yeah that's uh the Oxus guide to babysitting that's um check that out if that's interesting to you i i highly i i do highly suggest it so that's it that's all that's all the shows that we're coming for this first part like i mentioned before we are going to be doing three total parts um, we still have a lot of really great shows to go through like licorice coil um Aoashi, i cannot wait to talk about that show um I, I do want to – we will cover a few of them similar to Cyberpunk that we will that are technically of this season, like Hakagodidi Twins. I will be covering that one as well. We have Made in Abyss um, down the road. But um, – and we I'm, I'm thinking we're going to do some OVAs as well, including the Heroing and, and Arfretta. Are you going to watch that one? I don't know. I, I mean you are eventually going to watch Arfretta, so – Probably. <laughs> it, the difficulty that we're facing right now is that we are coming to the end of the season, so the new season starting up. So any kind of promises we make is kind of one of those – but will I be able to because the next season's starting up? But yeah, we have a, we have a ton of stuff to go through and definitely looking forward to talking about them. But uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode as always. If you did, make sure to let people know about us. That's the best way you can support us, you know, getting the word out there, letting people know that you enjoy Ataku Spirit. Um, link out our channels. We have, of course, we're on Spotify, iTunes, of course, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Ataku Spirit. Um, as always, if you guys want to support us additionally, we have at atakuspirit.com, there's a support button up there where you can uh, find ways to support us, including our Patreon account, and we have a tips link as well if you want to do a one-time donation. Uh, we definitely appreciate everybody that does support us 
your your support means a lot to us and you all take care. Oh, 